We think the Jokic brothers have gone to bed yet? Are they the Gronkowskis of basketball? But then lifting Michael has been made, right? Lifting Michael Malone up. Maddie was like, "Oh my gosh, they're so tatted," and Nicola is not, and couldn't get over uh, Mr. Jokic's cute little daughter. Quite the scene post game last night as the Denver Nuggets uh, captured their first championship in NBA history. I know how you guys felt, but watching that one, there were moments in that game I felt like I was watching like a Big Ten rock fight on about a Tuesday night. It was like <laughs> the Nuggets just trying to get to the finish line. Minnesota couldn't, and Michigan State, right? Yeah, I couldn't throw it in the ocean, clanking free throws. Jimmy Butler was so, and I don't use this word lightly, like he looked disinterested to me for so such long stretches, and he had a three-minute flurry that was like, oh my god, this is going back to Miami for a game six. But in the end, Nikola Jokic and company with quite the performance. 4-1 series victory for the Nuggets. You know, the a couple of things that I thought were really cool about last night, the first being just, as we talked about, the Denver Nuggets. I mean, that literally... Uh, you know who is the NFL equivalent of the Denver Nuggets like the Arizona Cardinals or just you know a franchise that has always been around they've never been totally abysmal but they've never been great they're good you you never uh, have you ever met anybody that's like I'm a diehard Nuggets fan I mean people from Denver aren't even diehard Nuggets fans right but it is very cool um, and I think it gives hope to the Pacers, as I talked about, I think, yesterday with you, Kevin, and I know yesterday with JMV. If you look at really the, the way the Nuggets were assembled, top 10 draft pick that that is a really nice find in Jamal Murray. I think he might have been seventh overall, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong in that. No, that's right. Yep. Good news um, for the Pacers a week from Thursday, drafting seven. Late round draft pick, international, you know, maybe project if you will uh, project's probably the wrong word but flyer that pans out in Jokic and a trade for a veteran that buys in and pans out for you by by giving up a couple of pieces that were tough to give up at the time in the acquisition of Aaron Gordon who might not have been as big last night but has been a good player and then the luxury of being able to draft Michael Porter Jr. and be patient for a year or two with him those are the four ingredients that made the Denver Nuggets NBA champions. And for the Pacers, you have you know, a top 10 pick that's panned out so far. It looks like Benedict Matherin's that guy. A late-round pick. Andrew Nimhard is obviously nowhere near Jokic. But you still have the opportunity this year with multiple picks later to, to try to get a big hit like that. A trade you can always make, but you know they do have also some other pieces that they've that they're able to be patient on. So the blueprint is there, and I think it's it, it creates an optimism. I think this is what the NBA needed, Kevin, because people were getting tired of to be to be quite frank, teams that had like two major stars on it or a ring chasing star that was coming to it. This is something fresh. I think it's good for the NBA. Yeah, I think that narrative is at least very quiet today. I mean, what five straight years of different champions. You know, it's not like we've well, had yeah. the 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 repeat champion. We've had Milwaukee, Toronto. No, Denver. I get that. But my point being, you know, Milwaukee, not even necessarily of the champions, but of the teams that are that, that are the dominant news story teams. You know, Boston has two elite level players on their roster. Golden State, obviously, yeah. I mean, they, you know, you have 
Steph Curry, Durant going to Phoenix. Everybody thought that was the foregone conclusion. Phoenix was going to put it together. Um, and then you have a team that just kind of methodically went through their way without having uh, – Jokic is kind of like Giannis, I guess, in the fact of like a guy that just – holy cow, like look at what we have here. Yeah, you know, for me, Jake, it's just a further reminder of how important the NBA draft is. And you could say the draft across all professional sports, but whether you're talking about Boston – and they're big too, or you're talking about Golden State and their core throughout this you know dynasty like run that they have had, or certainly here recently with the Bucks and the Nuggets, you have to draft well, and particularly when you are the Pacers and you're in this market where it's more difficult to attract a you know whether it's a Kawhi Leonard for Toronto or it's a Kevin Durant for Golden State. Uh, you have got to hit on the draft, and certainly uh, Nikola Jokic, if he's not, he's got to be viewed, considering where he's drafted, probably the greatest draft pick in NBA history um, when you consider the amount of MVPs and, and the level of play that he's already at, and he wasn't even taken in round one. A good Tuesday morning to you. It is overcast again here to start this Tuesday. Again, a little bit of a crisp feel as you walk out to your car. I think a chance for rain today. We've got the Gulf State Finals today and tomorrow, so we don't want any rain in the forecast coming up on the east side of Carmel there, um, adjacent to Connor Prairie, Prairie View Golf Course. I should say maybe just across the way there from Connor Prairie. Uh, But 94-89 last night, Denver over Miami to win the NBA championship. I don't want to act like I had this, like, sentimental view for the Heat, but was there any part of you guys that, like, I almost kind of at times wanted to stand up and clap for the Heat at the end. I was like, you know what? That's, like, that's a little bit of Florida Gulf Coast bowing out or St. Peter's bowing out. You know, it's just kind of like that was a hell of a run. It was, no doubt. Like the boy that tips the hat to Jeter. Yeah, thank you. The respect. The respect gift. Yes, Mark. Well, insert that. Because it it was the the undrafted group. And and Butler, again, last night, Kyle Lowry's turning back the clock. And it wasn't this out of human performance from Butler. Yes, he had that couple minute stretch there. But hell, there were long stretches of last night where I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is going back to Miami for game six. Well,. You know, in addition to the respect you're talking about, Jokic clearly had it because you saw, and I thought it was very cool, it, when the game was over, Nikki, uh, Nikola Jokic went and basically shook hands with and congratulated every single, like sought out the the last guy on the bench all the way down the Heat roster. I thought he went through the handshake line with, twice. Yeah, I, honestly. Like, he made sure that he got everybody before he then went and celebrated, which is very cool. His brothers were already picking up Michael Malone before he had gotten to Cody Zeller. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Cody. So, you know, like I said, it would be cool to be doing morning radio in Denver. What's the morning show in Denver, you think, Kevin? Oh, uh, the Rocky Mountain Course. I was going to say Ro- Rocky and the Wolf, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there. this gives them something to talk about for a day before they go back to the Broncos, which is cool, right? Do you think we'll look at this Nuggets run as one of the greatest ever when you consider they went 16-4 and four in the postseason? 16-4 and four in a season that was defined by parity in both conferences. Remember how we entered the playoffs and we we're like, boy, who is coming out of the West? Yeah. Well, I thought the Lakers were. I mean, Lakers is a seven seed. Phoenix, Golden State, you know, what? all the chaos with, with Memphis. And they go 16-4. and four. That's pretty darn impressive. You know, I, I think the thing that's impressive about it, Kevin, is that they were really good all year long and no one talked about them. I mean, honestly, like you never heard it. And they were... Yeah, quiet number one seed. Totally. And they just... 
you know, like I was talking to my buddy that lives in Denver, and I'm like, how big a deal is it there? And he's like, that's big, but, you know, I mean, not like if the Pacers won the NBA title, I think this city would go absolutely bonkers. And, and, and I mean, don't get me wrong, I think Denver will go bonkers, but I think there are probably a lot of people that like, you know, you just you you meet anybody from Denver, it's Broncos, Broncos, Broncos. I mean, that is an NFL city for sure. Most cities are, but that that one more than most. The Denver Morning Show, by the way, is Schlereth, Schlereth and Evans. It's Mark Schlereth Mark, and Mike okay, yeah. Evans. Sure, there you go. Mark Schlereth had a nice run there, as I said on the worldwide. Yeah, they'll talk about the Nuggets for a day. Did you right? see Russell Wilson sitting? Courtside? <laughs> so my, that's the other thing my buddy told me, by the way. I said, how big are the Nuggets right now? And he said, it's a nice reprieve from the talk of everybody wanting to help Russell Wilson pack his bags. <laughs> They're just completely – and you remember, Kevin, Russell Wilson was – I mean, his name was floated by fans here, right? Sure. Like, oh, man, the Colts got to get Russell Wilson. Thank goodness they didn't, I guess, right? You know, the start of that game last night, the Nuggets so sloppy early on with those turnovers. Again, the poor foul shooting. And you get to the end of the game and you're like, just old faithful. And that would be Jokic. He's 12 of 16 from the floor. No one was a fit. I guess Bam, Bam out of bio had a nice game for the Heat. Again, Lowry gave them some decent minutes. But no one really had a, a solid performance on either team. And yet here was Jokic when they needed it, made a couple of baskets, and just kind of that calming influence. When Jimmy Butler was doing his thing, um, some big plays. Bruce Brown was important again for for Denver. Um, and I, I don't watching that scene post game, Jake. I I did get some like, wow, what would this be like for the Pacers? Oh, and I don't know if it's the market size. I don't know if it's the way that kind of Denver stars the carry ABA themselves thing has something to do with it, right? Yeah, maybe the ABA feel to it as well. Um, but Jokic, I mean, Jokic's comments post game were just absolutely hilarious. The job is done. It's time to go home. I mean, he doesn't want to go to the parade. He wants to go to Serbia. Yeah, now you are an NBA champion, Nicola. How does that feel? It's good. It's good. The job is done. We can go home now. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> it's like you just wrapped up a big, you know, second quarter sale there. You know, okay, the job is done. We have hit our quota. Time to go home. It's beautiful. He it's would always, like- he would always then just like go to the back of the podium or back of the stage there. You know, after Lisa Salters got got done with them, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna let the other guys get to the front. I'll go back there with my wife and my daughter and just kind of chill back here. And I, I do. I do you think we'll ever get to a point where we don't interview the owner first? Huh. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if just some owner just immediately handed the trophy to the players and then said, hey, Lisa Salters, worry about me, fourth. Let you, l- let's interview Jokic. I mean, which one's that going to be, though? I know. I, Herb Simon would be that way, but... I like Michael Malone. Do you? I do. He was an assistant for the Pacers, right? For Mike Brown, was he? I, I, I know he's with Mike Brown, um, I thought it was in Sacramento, but I, I wasn't sure if it was in... I, I've got to look here. I, I don't want to speak out of... Maybe it was Brandon... I'm sorry. His father was an assistant here. That's what it was. They, uh, you know, I feel like they've shown Malone uh, pregame, those little you know pregame snippets with him every time. And last, you know, I've seen it now for however many games here in the finals or even throughout the playoffs. And I sat there last night. I'm like, where's that dude from? He just screams like New Jersey. And sure enough, he's from Queens. I know it's not New Jersey, but like he's got the persona of just the New York, 
New Jersey aspect to him. You could tell the players love playing for him. A lot of Indiana connections. His father was an assistant for the Pacers from 2000 to 2003. What was his father's first name? Brendan Malone. Brendan Malone, that's right. Yeah. Kind of a journeyman coach. Did you see the um, clip of Jared Jeffrey shotgun and a beer? Really? Former Nuggets scout, I believe. He's now like a renowned fisherman, right? I know. I was like, do we do still do that outdoor show on these airwaves? Jared Jeffries maybe couldn't do that. Jared Jeffries, by the way, his um, his catchphrase was always, you know what I'm saying. You interview Jared Jeffries, you know what I'm saying. He talks about the, I, you know, I was with the Nuggets, you know what I'm saying. But then I was a fisherman, you know what I'm saying. Very smart dude, Jared Jeffries. Thomas Bryant getting a ring. How about that? So it was guaranteed that an Indiana player was going to get a ring. Because it was either going to be Cody Zeller and Oladipo or Thomas Bryant, um, and Thomas Bryant, it's funny his entire NBA career. Thomas Bryant now could win four more rings, and the thing, Kevin, that we will most know Thomas Bryant for. What is Thomas Bryant's defining moment of his NBA career? Uh, trying to call for the ball when <laughs> Kobe, <laughs> LeBron, LeBron goes for when the LeBron all-time was, record. He's pulling up, passing. and Thomas Bryant has the most beautiful low-post seal of oh, like yeah. two defenders of all time. Phil Knight is in awe over the <laughs> fundamental aspect of the post-up there by Thomas Bryant. Absolutely beautiful, right? One day when the post-up is dead, if it's not already dead, we'll have that moment from Thomas Bryant. Um, I have a question for you. And by the way, welcome back, Mark Dykton. Good morning to everybody Hi, on hello. a today is Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Tuesday morning. Good morning to you. A little overcast, a little chilly, as Kevin had mentioned, but and it's supposed to be kind of overcast over the course of the day. Um, Mark, you were on vacation. You're back. You were where? We did the uh, Disney thing. We were in Orlando, and then uh, we went to my mother-in-law's house, who's in Northport, Florida, and my wife and the girls are still down there. So then I will be flying back down there Friday after the show, and then we will be driving back up over the weekend. So you drove down mm-hmm. after the show on Friday? Oh, yeah. Or he, Thursday? He Thursday night, yeah. Send us pictures from You went to Bucky's. Bucky's. What time was the Bucky's that you went to? It was like 1 in the morning, I And think. there was no one there? It was the most empty Bucky's I've ever seen. Like, we were on I-20 because we went through, like, Alabama. Wait, which, which Bucky's were you in? Uh, Leeds, Alabama. That's so. right. Uh, literally, literally... Mark Dykton, across the street from Barber Motorsports. I know. I saw the signs, and it was... There was nobody there. It was wild. Like, there was, like, five cars in the gas pumps, and I walked in, like, there's no one in the bathrooms? There's no... Am I at, at like, a... Mark was worried. ...movie set? Where am I at? What time was this? Like, one in the morning. And you were going to Orlando? Yeah. That's the way you get to Orlando? No, that's the way we went this time, because we were, like, going through... Because of Bucky's? We're going through... No. no. (laughs) We're going through Nashville, and all of a sudden it said, hey, if you go this route, it'll save two hours. And I said, oh, okay. Let's go through Birmingham. Never been... Check love that, Birmingham. Check that state off the list. So we went that way. Huh. Okay. Yeah. It was, was, it was the first time. How going was the that Disney way. craze? Oh, it was fun. Had a great time. Girls loved it, did all that stuff. Got stuck in a torrential downpour on Winnie the Pooh. So we were stuck in like Excuse me? 45 minutes of like, I can't leave. There's lightning in the area and everything like that. That sounds awful. There's a yeah. Winnie the Pooh ride? Of course. I don't know. I mean, I'm, you ride in a honey bucket and you go around into his little, you know. 100 acre wood thing I, I mean pardon my naivete here you should I, come jake I, I didn't know that winnie the pooh was a disney character oh come on do most people know that i, I, I would think winnie the pooh is one of the more prominent I ones thought, right i always thought winnie the pooh was an independent contractor like that was a, a it was a book right winnie the pooh eeyore christopher robin i didn't know that was a disney oh, themed it's 100 a disney property 
did they did they did Winnie sell like is he like the live golf of characters? Boy, did he that, sell that's out? that's an accusation against Winnie. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I thought Winnie the Pooh was a book written by a fella like in the 30s. I didn't know that it was a Disney created character. Well, he's been. I mean, I don't know if he was a Disney created one, but he's certainly Disney owned now. But he's been around long. Disney's when did, he, when when did, when did Winnie? Disney's sell got out? a monopoly on all the characters. 1924, yeah. Winnie the Pooh also known as Edward Bear, Pooh Bear, and simply Pooh, is a fictional teddy bear created by A.A. A. Milne and E.H. Shepard. So it was a book. So when did Disney... It says right here, Disney acquired oh, here the go. rights to the book, the Winnie the Pooh books, and their 61. characters in 1961. I had no idea. I never knew that. Yep. See? I just knew the book because my mom read me the book when I was a kid. What do we do on the show, Jake? We do educate and entertain. There you go. Comparing no Winnie the Pooh to Live Golf, probably not something you had on the old. So bingo I've card only here. been to Disney before it was Epcot. So like, I mean, when I was like six, we went to Disney World. I think I told you guys we waited in line for like two hours to get our picture taken with Mickey Mouse, and we were on deck, and they came up and they're like, "Sorry, kids, Mickey's got to go meet Minnie for lunch." And my mom was like, "Get in there!" And so I have a picture of me, my sister, and two totally random kids. With Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Boy, that's quite the scene. That could start a riot. Oh yeah, I mean, it was. Minnie can wait. <laughs> I feel like parents will be yelling. Yeah. Well, Mark, Mark, welcome back. Thank you. Good to have you. Um, today on the show, we're going to have Joel A. Erickson join us at 8 o'clock. Colts minicamp beginning today. Three-day mandatory minicamp to close out the off-season program. Uh, we've got Alex Golden to talk some Pacers. We are now nine days away from the NBA draft. Mark, is Kristen Peak today? Sorry, today. Have... Yep, 940. Um, so a little NBA draft talk, and she is a Denver resident, right? Correct. Oh, yep. gosh. 740 in the morning she's joining us? Mm-hmm. Jeez, day after that? Awesome. Christian Peake, Yahoo Sports, does a great job covering the draft. Going to join us coming up at 9. You know, as of now, we're about a week into the Isaiah Rogers storyline. We still have not seen any cornerback move. You know, I, I don't want to read too much into that, but, you know, if the Colts had some sort of indication one way or the other on what the punishment was going to be for Rogers, don't you think they would have liked to have made a cornerback move with three days to go in the offseason program? Here's the thing. I, I can't imagine this is the case, but did Isaiah Rogers like? Did he spill the beans when he shouldn't have? I'm not saying that you don't come clean with things, but like, I guess this was going to come out, obviously, right? But so far, the only other than a random tweet, and then as I mentioned, like a random tip that I got. And I don't mean that I had anything to do with that, but I'm saying like there was a lot of smoke around it. But Isaiah Rogers just comes out and says like, you know what, it was me, and I'm really sorry. Da, da, da. And that's like the only definitive statement about the situation. Yeah, I thought Stephen Holder was pretty definitive with his reporting on it. So I, I, I think you know we would have gotten there. Um, I guess the Colts can't really do or say anything until the league comes out with it, right? Yeah, but again, no one's stopping you from signing a cornerback if you want to. Yeah, I mean, Rodgers obviously released a statement this time last week. So, um, and, and you know, I'm not like that up in arms about it because I'm content with playing the youth on that side of the ball this season. I'm a little bit more in the support Anthony Richardson offensively, which you know, kind of going off that, you see these DeAndre Hopkins teams involve Titans and Patriots. I'm like, what's the goal for DeAndre Hopkins here? Just visited the Titans. Supposedly the Patriots up next. I'm like. That doesn't scream join a Super Bowl contender at the age of thirty. Yeah, Matt but what Jones if, and Ryan Tannehill. But what if there's not a Super Bowl contender that's looking at him? You can't tell me there's not one Super Bowl contender that's just like, hey man, 
Come on in. But but you don't think order, the Ravens could use him? In order him to be Odell? a Super Bowl contender, sure. it probably means that you've got a lot of money invested in other positions, and he's going to require a lot, right? Yeah, you know, you would obviously like to think at his stage of his career, he'd be a little bit more acknowledging of the financials and realize, okay. Do you know his nickname? By I've the way? been on perennial. Pretty much, he's been on perennial losers. I know the Texans made the playoffs a few times. Uh, is it Nuke? Correct. Do you know if if you get this right, Kevin Bowen? Then I will be more impressed than I was that I learned today that Winnie the Pooh's a Disney fella. Um, origin of the nickname Nuke. Is that like the bomb he set off in the hotel room here in the combine? That's when a good. That's real good. Him and his that's roommate right. had some issues I, here. I believe N U C is the spelling, not N U K E. Oh, got it. N U K actually. N U K is it N U K? No, is, I, I, I do not know. I don't know. Uh, that is apparently a brand of pacifier. Oh, and I mean, I've heard of the brand. Yeah, we have. Yeah. When he was a kid, he would always chew on a nuke pacifier, so his grandmother called him Nuke. Huh. Interesting. And that's his nickname. Yeah, we have a couple of those products at home. We'll Getting rid, get of rid of the passy was quite the ordeal, but Rosie's done a nice job. Really? We dropped I, them off at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. We said that the babies needed it when we were in Cincinnati, and it shockingly it was a it was a quite the traumatic twelve hours after. But since then, she's done very good with that. <laughs> um, the movie Boys in the Hood, one of the characters, Chris, is always chewing on a pacifier, and so as a result of that, it became like kind of a thing for about six weeks, where guys like thought it was cool to chew on a pacifier. Nuke Hopkins has got a good sound to it. It does. Good player too. Uh, but, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say so. I'll be up there today for the Colts mini camp for the next three days. I was going to ask you guys just before we get to the morning checkdown, having nothing to do with the world of sports, but on my way in, one America building. You've seen it, right? The big sure. uh-huh. always has the catchphrases. Um, Gosh, my eyes glanced over it, but I was. Do you have you ever noticed that when you're driving, that it's kind of hard to explain. But if you look at it straight on, like sometimes you can't read it. You have to be like kind of at an angle to truly read what the letters say. If I remember correctly, today was a longer one, right? Yes, and here's what it said, and I'm like, am I missing something? Is this like the Winnie the Pooh thing? And I'm the last one to know. Today's One America sign, and for those that are unfamiliar, that's the big sign outside of what for, I call it the AUL building, but the big, the second biggest building in Indy. So it always has this the sign with funny phrases. And then I thought, okay, they're getting me hook, line, and sinker because this is entirely designed to get people talking about something, maybe, or some marketing ploy. But it simply said, and I'm paraphrasing, the clock is ticking one year away from the big splash. And I'm like, what am I missing? Is that in reference to the um, swimming trials that's, here next summer? So that's what I wonder. Is that where? Is that here? I I, I figured it had yeah, to be. It's over at Lucas Oil is where it's at. I said to Sean Copeland, I go, that's got to be a swim-related event, right? That would be my guess. Um, and again, I know that doesn't resonate maybe towards the casual sports fan, Jake, but I was talking with someone here who's you know, sports correlated and, and connected with those events. That's like a huge deal that we're hosting that. Oh, no, I mean, I think it's big, for it's sure. It's eight straight nights, if I'm not... If yeah, you're right, June, June 15th to 23rd, there you go. And I'm just more curious, like, can... And we should probably have a guest on to better explain this, Jake, but, like, we're putting a pool inside of Lucas Oil Stadium? Well, they've done that with... They did it at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Yeah. Remember that? That was a... Ten years ago, yeah, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say. Indianapolis is hosting the trials. They hosted the same in 1924. The Olympic swim, uh, Olympic team swam in Paris. Broadrupple Park, right? Correct. And I think I told you one day 
five years ago. I don't know. I was in Crown Hill Cemetery. I saw the headstone of a young person, and it had like an, an Olympic ring thing. And I'm like, who in the world would this be? And I looked it up, and in Broderpool Park, there was a lifeguard who was involved. It was thought that he was an Olympic caliber swimmer. I don't believe he was, but the trials were here, and he had participated in that. And he was a lifeguard at Broderpool Park, which Broderpool Park was basically an amusement park at the time, 100 years ago. And two kids were playing with a ball that got sucked down into the bottom filter of the the big pool, the same pool that's there at Broderpool Park. And they were like, oh, and the suction kept the ball underwater. And so they said, well, get the lifeguard to go down there and get it. He's an Olympic swimmer. Like, he can get it. And he dove down to get the ball for the kids, and the water suction grabbed a hold of his swim trunks, and he actually drowned. So that's how I like learned that whole story, and the fact that's how I knew that the Olympic swim trials had been in Indy a hundred years ago. That's a horrifying story. It is. It's terrible. But a year, so a, a year from right now, June fifteenth to the twenty third, twenty twenty four. There you go. You know, a lot of people, Olympic related, swimming related, will say the U.S. swimming trials to get on the U.S. Olympic team. There are some events that are more difficult than the actual. Olympics. I could see that. You know, it's almost like the old saying of, hey, it might be harder to win an indie sectional insert sport here. And I would imagine there's once some you get kids, to like the regional or the semi state, it gets a little easier. I mean, there would be some swimmers that are gonna come that are gonna be involved in that that like from Carmel. Sure. Oh yeah. Uh, I, oh, I yeah. mean I mean IU, certainly. IU yeah, certainly with yeah. their swimming heritage. Jake, before we hit a break, um, I do want to offer our thoughts with Bob Kravitz. Um, laid off yesterday by the Athletic. Bob has been outstanding to us, and, and as someone that you know has grown up in this market, you know I said to Bob yesterday. I mean, you talk about someone that's been inspiring to me and wanting to get into this industry. And obviously, the dark side of it was seen yesterday. I know when you see the number like three percent, four percent, you just don't think much of it. But three or four percent can easily hit home uh, pretty squarely, and, and it did with Bob. Um, you've seen him work firsthand, having him on the show. It's been pretty amazing for, for myself and just coming full full circle. And um, hopefully, uh, whatever Bob wants to do, you know, now in this uh, new chapter of his life, I hope he finds some peace at that. I know he certainly said yesterday that he's going to take a lot of time, let this sink in, and figure out what's next. Uh, but definitely thinking about Bob. Kevin, when Bob Kravitz came to Indianapolis – he, he came here in the most unenviable of positions because of the fact that he was the hire that was hired to replace Robin Miller, who had been controversially fired and was a beloved figure in the market. That is a nearly impossible task to undertake. Yet, he came in, he did his job, he just kind of kept his nose down and bulldogged it for that first year or so to establish his own identity. And I think that people immediately realized that not only was he a gifted writer, but that more so he was a gifted reporter, which is odd to say about a columnist. But for those that are outside of the niche snow globe that we work, which is the local sports media, I am absolutely certain when I say this. There is no one person who has worked in this market, at least during the time that I've peripherally been a part of it, that I have seen 
that could get the call back or get his call answered amongst more sports dignitaries in town from athletes to coaches to executives than Bob Kravitz. No, without question. He was the most, and is still, I mean, it's, you know, he's still with us, obviously, but he is the most connected and trusted voice for athletes and coaches and executives in this town amongst anybody who has come through it in the last quarter century, unquestionably. And... Um, the thing that I have liked about Bob and grown to truly appreciate about Bob is that he took a terrible personal tragedy when his mother passed away of ALS and decided to turn that into some sort of a trail of positivity and helping other people with it by having his annual golf outing to raise money for it, to be very vocal about it. The same is true of his... You know, quite frankly, I mean, I, I was when I really got to know Bob well, I was in my gym and he was in there working out because he had had heart issues just before mine. Um, and he was very candid about it. And I was always terrified of a heart attack and asked him a, a gabillion questions, which I know had to get old. Um, he, to me, to say that I am tight friends with him is disingenuous, but I've always had a great respect for him and was sad to see that yesterday and hope that he lands wherever he decides to land you know when you're in the position he's been in for i mean the better part of three four decades you have to have a bit of an ego like it's impossible not to you're a columnist you give your opinion on a daily basis you are arguably the most prominent person at the respective outlets that he's been at um but there's a humility to bob that that i've just always always appreciated you know I, I was intimidated and kind of in awe when I first met him I'm like oh my gosh he's just you know he's we got a lot of similarities and I enjoy just talking with him whether it's him informing me about hockey or talking about our favorite holes at Prairie View Golf Course or whatever July 31st by the way is that ALS golf outing which you know I know Bob uh, came on the show a couple weeks ago plugged that we'll certainly keep on having him on um, but if you can help out in any way July 31st over at Highland Country Club and, and kind of one other Side note to this story, Jake, you know, you look at The Athletic and I think they've done a lot of good for sports journalism. It's a bit disappointing to see them downsize the Indianapolis market to the level that they have. Uh, we'll see how they treat Bob's position. We'll see how they treat Zach Kiefer and Zach getting you know elevated to more of a national feature writer for the NFL. But all of a sudden, James Boyd's it. James Boyd's the only indie presence they have committed to the Colts and or the Pacers. And, you know, it, it originally was, you know, you had Zach, you had, um, obviously you had James along alongside Zach. You had Scott Agnes before with the Pacers. Again, you had Bob as kind of the columnist of it all. Stephen Holder. Um, Stephen Holder, thank you, Mark, was with the Athletic as well. So to see them now all of a sudden, and I don't, I didn't get the impression they were going to hire someone in Zach's place. I thought it was just kind of kind of be James and Bob moving forward, handling this. But I am interested to see um, how that evolves because I do think on a national scale, I mean, you, you have kind of an intriguing time for this market. Of boy, if Anthony Richardson hits, if the Pacers all of a sudden make you're right, make some noise. I do think there would be a little bit more of a national. The, the elevator's set of going eyes up in Indianapolis, yeah. right? Yeah. So disappointing on many fronts, but certainly Bob from a personal standpoint. Um, the one that hits closest to home. So think about Bob, and hopefully he can find some peace and enjoy some rounds of golf and uh, enjoy a beverage or two. Certainly he'll be watching tonight, Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Hard coverage will begin at 8 o'clock as the Vegas Golden Knights go for their own 4-1 series victory over the Brendan Kings Florida 
Panthers. Good Tuesday morning to you. Is that the sun starting to peek out a little? I it swear. appears that way. It was overcast to start. It's supposed to be overcast all day. It better be because I plan on napping. See, see a little sun over Riley Towers right now. Again, Joel A. Erickson joining us. Colts minicamp starting today. Coming up at 8 o'clock. Alex Golden as we are nine days away from the Pacers draft. Some, Alex is always great with some draft names. Um, we'll talk with him from a local angle on that. And then Kristen Peak, more of a national draft analyst. Get her thoughts on how she views some tears coming up in the NBA draft a week from Thursday. Kevin Bowen, Jake Corey, Mark Dykton back in the saddle. You're listening to Kevin Corey right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. The Denver Nuggets, NBA champions for the first time in franchise history. At times last night, it was a bit of a rock fight. The Heat certainly led for big, big chunks of that game. Jimmy Butler for how, frankly, disinterested I thought he was for large, large parts as well. He had a flurry there late. Looked like it was going to go to a game six, but the Nuggets made the plays down the stretch. And here was Mike Breen's call of the championship moment. Lowry searching. Looking, looking. Brian Struess back to Larry. There it is. Three-pointer. Won't go. Rebound. Caldwell Pope. They're not going to foul. The Heat will let it play out. It's over. At last, the long wait is over. After 47 years, the Denver Nuggets can finally call themselves NBA champions. You know, I think each time we play that, I'm just going to mention random Nuggets from the past. Robert Pack. They were showing some random nuggets last night. It was great to see the Fonz, Notre Dame legend, Fonzo Ellis, in the building last night. I was wondering why Henry Winkler was there. I'm like, <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, maybe a Chauncey Billups sighting. That's another good one. Fat Lever. I mean, you go on and on and on, right? I do love the variety of their jerseys, um, and I like the. Okay, your favorite Nugget uniform from the past? It's probably probably the um, the Rainbow Rockies. Yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah. that would be most people's, right? And you know, you brought this up yesterday, Jake, and I think it's a it's a great point. And I know we've had five straight years, five different champions. You look at Denver, the Big Four: Jokic, Murray. It's probably the big two, and then the other two: Porter and Gordon. They're all under contract for the next two years, and I believe it's three of the four under contract through 2026. So this is what happens when you draft, you grow organically, you make a big trade. Even a team in a smallish market can build something like this. Obviously, Jokic, an absurd talent, but it is pretty darn impressive how they didn't get lottery luck. They have just kind of built this through great, great drafting. No doubt, and I mean, there's a little luck, I guess, in hitting on it. But sure, kudos sure. to them. I mean, Jamal Murray's a hell of a player. Kenyon you know Martin, Nene, two of my favorites. Oh, Nene. <laughs> Nene, yeah, there you he go. went from Nene Hilario to just Nene. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday. Uh, the Reds over the Royals, 5-4. Can we start with the athletics, people? Three-game win streak. I don't see the athletics as playing. Oh, they, they don't. Six, they wait a minute. Six in a row. Six in a row, Did they man. play? No one wants to play them right now. And they beat the Rays, man. The hottest team in baseball. They've beat the Pirates, the Brewers, and now the Rays. These are all legit teams that they are beating. And today, they have a scheduled boycott from their fan base. No, no, no. It's a... It's a, it's a Boycott that all the fans are showing up. Right, so it, it's reverse boycott. Yeah, well, that seems ineffective. Uh, they're going to no, wear shirts that, that says "sell." Yeah, on they're, them. Sh- they're showing that it's not the fans that are the issue. Right, that's the point. Uh, poorly timed. 
How many will they have? Reverse boycott from the athletics here? I don't know. Uh, they'll have 5,000. They are within 24 and a half games of the Rangers. Don't look. Mark, play the audio. People don't look now, but here come the athletics. People might actually have to sit in their own assigned seats at the A's game today. <laughs> Sir! 112! Are you saying you won't have fans running the bases like there was last <laughs> right, night? Right, right, yeah. Unabashed. Uh, uh, Indians back in action later today on the road at Iowa all week. You going to give the uh, the other scores, Jake? Okay, the Arizona Diamondbacks mm-hmm. beat the Phillies 9-8. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't see cute fella playing. He, yeah, the cute fella was idle. That's right. Which means... Idaho Lower East. So, cute fella right now. You go ahead and give me the Diamondbacks record. 41-25. and 25. <clears throat> A win percentage of 621. Well, Orioles 41-24, 631. I know. I'm a but half I'm game up in our race for PDR. at your heels, sir. <laughs> uh, you guys going to mention who's, you know, just lurking? Hello? With the red legs? What are what are JMV's Royals? Doing? Uh, the Athletics are. Do the Athletics have a better record than the Royals now? No, the Royals are eighteen and forty eight. So they have a two seventy three. Athletics are eighteen and fifty. Look at this. <laughs> Look at this. Let's start talking about the Royals. A you and JMV are having a pillow fight. Reds twenty first comeback win. That is the most in the majors. The energy level continuing to rise. With the red uh, tonight, it is Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final. We are back in Vegas for this one. It's a 3-1 lead for the Golden Knights as they try to finish off the Florida Panthers. You know, surprise, we mentioned the stat yesterday. I think it's like 1-36, 1-37 all-time. Teams down 3-1 in the Stanley Cup Final that have come back to win the series. So, odds not in the favor of the Florida Panthers. And if you're looking for something to do tonight, Indiana Fever in action over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It's a 7 o'clock tip against the Washington Mystics. I feel like this is a gentleman's sweep in the Stanley Cup tonight. Yeah, that, that finish to Game 4 was pretty chaotic. But mm-hmm. once... I mean, it almost felt like kind of Denver-Miami Game 4 as well. Like, Jokic gets in this foul trouble. He's got his fifth foul. There's your moment, Miami. No. Yeah. Very Brent, similar, I thought, Brendan to the Panthers. Brendan putting other night. on his dress pants and high top sneakers to come fight you right now. <laughs> it's just for that comment. Uh, when we come back, I have a question for Kevin and an epiphany that I think might collide his worst fear and his favorite passion. Oh, jeez, boy. I know. Are we going Micah Shrewsbury? Are we going Tiger? Are we going. No, we'll explain next. Long's Donuts, morning beer. Nine minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Good morning to you on a Tuesday. Sun's starting to peak out. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. It's Kevin and Quarry on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Kevin, we are sports fans first and foremost, which is why we do what we do for a living. Of the sports of which we are fans, I don't know that there is another one that you would be a bigger fan of than golf. And I, it was very clear that when the live golf situation first happened, and I don't mean this to be like hyperbole, but like, I mean, I could tell like you were bothered by it, truly like. Would you take the Hamilton County teams or the rest of the state in the state finals? If I gave the Hamilton County teams of the field, who are you taking? In golf? Yes. State finals today. Not knowing any of the teams involved, I'll say, are there Evansville teams then? Evansville North, I think, is a, a, a team that's lur- lurking. Yeah, I'll t- no, I'll take the field. Okay. All right. You're playing um, golf, and you're going to like it. When the live golf thing happened, you know, I could tell at first you were, and I don't mean this to, to pick on you, but, you know, you were like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Fair. But the Saudi money was so endless that they were able to, and I think you and I talked about the fact, 
were the were the Saudis really trying to do a rival golf league, and then they realized, you know what, we got the money to just put this all in one hopper, or were they? initially trying to get involved in the PGA, couldn't do it, so they created their own league as an avenue to then get into the PGA and get their money into the PGA. It got me thinking, the the area that you, I, I personally feel, are without question the most knowledgeable, and I think probably the most knowledgeable in the market, is the NFL franchise. And when you look at the, the big sports in the U.S., and I'll put soccer in there now, okay? I'll, I'll put soccer as a rising sport. I, I still don't believe it's ever going to be like NFL level, but it's clearly very popular. So you have the MLS, you have MLB, you have the NBA, and you have the NFL. Major League Baseball, any professional baseball league in the United States is under the umbrella of Major League Baseball, Right? Like like professional baseball, if you play professional baseball in the United States, there is no league other than Major League Baseball or the minor leagues that are affiliated with the major leagues, correct? Right, right. In the NBA, if you play professional basketball in the, in the United States, you are playing in the NBA or in an umbrella league like the G League that is associated with the NBA, correct? Soccer, there are a number of leagues, but we've already seen that the Saudi money tried to get one of the most popular soccer players to pluck away. He ended up going to the MLS in, in Messi, but they tried to get him to go and play in Saudi Arabia. So they, they, they've they already tipped their hand in soccer involvement. Now, the National Football League is the 800-pound gorilla in the United States, but it's the only sport of the big three, at least, between baseball and the NBA that has competing leagues within, not competing necessarily, but it is possible to play professional football in the United States and have no affiliation with the NFL. Unlike Major League Baseball, unlike the NBA, the NFL does have other leagues within this country. There's the XFL, there's the USFL. The XFL lost $60 million last year, it was reported. The USFL, I would imagine, is probably also losing money. What stops the Saudis from saying, you know what? We're going to go to Aaron Rodgers. We're going to go to Anthony Richardson. We're going to go to whoever, and we're going to say, we'll buy out your contract. And guess what? Josh Allen... I know you don't want to play and leave Buffalo and play for the Birmingham Stallions, but we've decided we want to get in the game, so we're going to play you $50 million a year and we'll buy it your contract. And you're going, to, you're going to play for the Birmingham Stallions, and the Saudi money is actually going to go now to the USFL. And then all of a sudden, the whatever it's called, the acronym, you know, the, the financial group in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, Public Investment Fund. The, the yep. Public Investment Fund is picking one of those two leagues to pour their money into, pluck players away from it, and force the NFL owners to say, you know what, look, we went through this with the USFL in the early 80s, and all of a sudden we laughed at it, but Herschel Walker's going there, and Doug Flutie's going there, and it, quite frankly, it was the 
total arrogance and naivete of the owner of the New Jersey Generals that decided to file an antitrust lawsuit against the NFL and get humiliated. That saved the NFL from the USFL continuing to pluck players away from it and become a legitimate rival. What is stopping that Saudi money or interest in doing that exactly right now? Because the platforms are there for them to start bringing players out. Yeah, I I think it's a great, great question. Um, And hand raised a little bit but i feel like i've read enough about this and certainly listened and watched enough on this that i I feel like there's a bit of education behind these comments it seems like the goal for the saudis or the public investment fund with their money is they are looking to diversify their economy they have looked at things and thought we are too oil centric and we need to try and expand and grow. And again, I think diversify is probably the right word to use with their economy. And they are viewing the business interest of the game of golf. And Yasser Al-Ruman, or however you pronounce his name, um, he is a big golf fan. So I think that plays into it as well, his own interest. And in that if we partner with the PJ Tour, and I say partner in quotes, that gives us a seat at the table with American companies that we feel like can further diversify our economic interest. And I don't know if the USFL or the XFL could provide that for them. Well, but what I'm saying, I agree, Kevin, 100%. But what I'm saying is, does the XFL or you? I don't think that they would be putting their money in the XFL or USFL in the interest in growing those leagues. They'd be putting their money in there in the interest of then forcing the NFL to to absolve and then include them in the National Football League to get rid to, to get rid of those two leagues, like they did with the PGA. I don't think that they had interest in overtaking the PGA. Like I don't, I don't think they had interest. Excuse me in in long term running live live golf. Yeah, I think li- live golf was the it was a combination was, of sport washing and how do we best drive us economically. Correct. It was the gateway to get them infiltrated into the PGA, and so. Is it possible the XFL or the USFL are the open real estate platforms that are that would allow them to gateway their money and funnel it into the NFL? I, 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 again, I certainly hear it. I still think we're a little bit of a ways away from the NFL aspect to it. Um, as much sport washing as they want to do, I do think there is a vision, the 2030, hell, 2050 vision of them as a country and saying, okay, how do we make sure that we get a seat at the table from an economic standpoint that's not just oil-based? Right. And I think that was the main goal. Now, again, money, as we talked about a week ago today, it doesn't talk, it doesn't win, it's undefeated. So what that looks like and when does it get to the highest level of American pro sports, I think is a very fair question. But I tend to think the aspect of them thinking big picture of the NFL is not necessarily on next month's calendar. I think it's still very, very, and we'll have Will Haskett on tomorrow. And this is U.S. Open week, which you're going to get primetime viewing from an awesome golf course in L.A. Country Club coming up Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. Um, I absolutely love that they do these U.S. Opens on the West Coast. I think it's terrific, and especially with the finals now over. Uh, I even love it more from appointment television. And again, it's a great, great golf course, great storylines for the U.S. Open. Um, But with Will Haskett tomorrow, we're a week into this, Jake, and I think we have absolutely zero clarity 
since yeah. where we were last Tuesday. Yeah, we have, you're right. What does professional golf look like next year? What does it look like 2025, 2027, et cetera? We have no idea. So I think we are still in the very infant stages, both legally and just what golf looks like in all of this. But I do think your question becomes relevant uh, at some point. I don't know if that's 5, 10, 20 years down the road. Um, I do think you're going to have to have that NFL ownership kind of change generations. It still, I think, is such a tight-knit fraternity. Yes, money is undefeated, but I think for the current group, um, I don't see 75% of them caving like that. Speaking of the NFL and the Colts, DeAndre Hopkins, Titans, Patriots, should the Colts get involved? That will be a question we'll throw to Joel A. Erickson from the Star. He joins us next. Colts three-day minicamp. Begins later today. Our next guest, Joel A. Erickson, will be out there for that one. Joel, I do want to begin with a question non-necessarily minicamp related. That would be DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Just got done with the visit of the Titans. I think the Patriots up next. Clearly, those two teams I don't think would fall in a Super Bowl contending category. Um, How would you view a Colts-DeAndre Hopkins conversation about potential interest? Just given the fact that, again... He seems to be rather content with Mac Jones and Ryan Tannehill or Will Levis being his quarterbacks. Uh, that'd be interesting. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how they how they worked him in. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, I feel like obviously you could you could there's a spot that you could slide him in if DeAndre Hopkins. There's a spot you could slide him into almost any receiver room. I'm I'm with you. I'm surprised that it's the Titans and the Patriots that he's not. Like for me, it would have been my list would have been Buffalo and Kansas City, and then I would, if they hadn't talked to me, I would have, I would have gone, you know, like okay, so who's the, who's the next best quarterback with a with a Super Bowl chance? Um, I, I think I like it even more for the Colts if it's if it would be a more than one year deal. Um, I don't know if I'd want him here on a one year deal where he's he's gone next year. Just you know, assuming that you know Anthony Richardson is probably better in his second year than he is in his first year, but. But yeah, if he's if he's open, it's DeAndre Hopkins. He's he's great. Would you have any reservations about it stunting an Alec Pierce growth, or are you of the mindset who cares? Support Anthony Richardson with a veteran wideout. Um, I think I think that that's that's possible. But in the NFL, you kind of just go with the best player, and if if Pierce is going to make a leap, he'll make a leap no matter what. Um. You know, and I think I think that that's possible. I wrote about that yesterday. That that you know, he actually had a pretty good recent rookie season compared to uh, uh, recent Colts rookie seasons at wide receiver, and and maybe it's in there. It's uh, I think the harder part is if if the offense looks the way um, we think it's going to look with with if Richardson's in there and they're running the ball a lot, and maybe it's not as much of a throwing offense right away. You know. Is then I would want to worry about you know getting everybody some some targets, but if if the Colts were going for it, I think you go for for DeAndre Hopkins. If, well, if not, then maybe you sit back and, and wait. Wouldn't Hopkins' options though be as I mentioned to Kevin earlier? You know, you could look at it and go, well, that, those are two peculiar teams, New England and Tennessee. Isn't he looking to go to the team that has the most flexibility to pay him? I I think flexibility to pay him, and I think the other thing is like if you look at those two teams, there's not like an obvious number one target. Um, where where there's where he can't where he he'd be sharing time with like a Stephon Diggs, right? Um, you know, so uh, I think that's 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 the first thing, two things that jump out about those teams. Again, still 
still a little surprised that it's not like the Kansas Cities of the world that he's going for. Um, but but maybe they maybe they swoop in late. Who knows? Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Star. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Three-day minicamp. Really the only thing different about the minicamp versus the OTAs is it's mandatory. Again, participation still extremely high in the OTAs. But this will conclude the Colts offseason program. Joel, we're a week into the Isaiah Rogers um, situation. Nothing on a punishment. Do you read anything into the lack of a free agent cornerback move by the Colts so far? No, I don't because, like, the guys that are out there are probably still going to be out there. Uh, you know, they, they, if they've made it to this, this far into June, then there's not necessarily a ton of competition for their services at whatever price point they want to get. So I think you could make a – I think you can make a move whenever you have to. Um, and and I, I think that – I think that I mean I think it's possible the team is waiting for the NFL to finish its investigation before it makes a decision and opens a roster spot. You know, um, so I, I, yeah, I these guys have made it all the way into June, still as free agents. Some of them are probably going to get signed in August. That's I, I don't necessarily think it matters uh, in terms of what's going on with the investigation. Well, my assumption, Joel, and and. Tell me if this assumption is the dumbest thing you've heard. My assumption is that it's in the Colts' best interest to wait for the league to come out with a ruling or some sort of evidence of their investigation on Isaiah Rogers because if he is under some sort of a suspension or even like being banned from the league, that there would be financial flexibility that's afforded to them by his departure as opposed to if they just cut him outright. Well, I... I think that assumption is correct. That's that's the assumption I've been operating on as well. That that if the league comes down with an investigation, that I also think that there's maybe a possibility that you know once discipline is handed down, if you make a decision, then maybe you don't have as many you don't have issues with the NFLPA. I don't know how that works, um, but the PA is there to you know sort of protect player interests in situations like these. And so I wonder if that's if that's part of it too is is waiting for the NFL to finish its investigation so that you know everything's kind of crossed and dotted and, and you get what you want. Um, I, I'd have to look at the contract to know exactly what it says about um, gambling conduct and stuff like that. But it is possible that there's there's some flexibility there. Again, Joel Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, you would know this better than I, but I don't think you have any Colts that are sitting out this minicamp due to contractual reasons. I know that's, you know, sometimes we saw with Kenny Moore last year. We've seen it with a handful of guys around the NFL right now. I don't think that's the case with any Colt. Um, having said that, what are the storylines that you think are a little bit more pertinent this time of year? I, I'll throw one just kind of general one at you. What I like about getting to minicamp is now we get to watch whatever, 20 straight practices in a row this week and then into training camp. So, you know, in in the past few weeks, we've only been able to watch one of three or four sessions each week. So it's harder to kind of see how trends go. Okay, what is Minshew doing rep-wise? What's Richardson doing rep-wise? You know, do you see starting lineup changes on a day-in, day-out sort of thing? So that's what I kind of like about minicamp is now we get into a cycle of, all right, you know, 15, 20 straight practices for us. I'm curious, anything on your mind for the next few days? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I like that it's a couple of days in a row. I mean, you asked the question last week to Shane Steichen, you know, why has Minshew been getting all the first-team reps? And he said, essentially said, well, you know, it just goes day-to-day. 
And if you guys are out here a different day, maybe you see it different. Well, we're going to see it. So um, that's one of the things I'm interested in, especially after they, what what he said the first time about giving Richardson first-team reps. That was always the plan. That's what we want to do. Um, you know, we're going to see three days in a row, the only three days they're doing this week. I think that's one of the things that I have on my on my list. Not that it means anything necessarily huge long-term for whether or not, you know, Richardson is going to be – um, you know, like whenever whenever you say anything about Richardson, people are like, "Well, don't be out on him completely, or don't be in on him completely." It's like that's not that's not where we're at. I just want to know. He said it was important to them to get him first team reps. Is he still getting them? You know, and I think that that's that's a big key. Like you said, the lineup stuff is interesting. Um, I I I will say I don't necessarily take injuries or guys sitting out at this point. Uh. Uh, you maybe maybe you mark them down in your notebook as okay. This is something to watch once we get to training camp. But my understanding is that just about every NFL team at this point, if a guy has anything going on at all, they just hold him out and make sure he doesn't hurt it worse. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that when we report, you know, these guys are in, these guys are out of practice, that it's automatically a reason for uh, jumping off the cliff. It it just means that you know they've got some something nagging going on. And, you know, when, when they're out for a couple of weeks in training camp, that's when it's time to start getting worried. Joel, this is a – Joel A. Erickson is our guest. He's on the Payless Liggers hotline. This is a sneaky, important next few months in terms of getting ready for camp because it's going to be a more important camp for this player than people are talking about. And I don't mean like Shaquille Leonard – and I don't mean, you know, obviously Isaiah Rogers, because we know what the, the uncertainty there. And I don't mean Anthony Richardson. The guy off radar that probably right now is feeling the most heat on him or knows there's the most scrutiny internally for his performance of the next few months is who? Um, well, uh, what I think, I think the guy that, that maybe that, that his signing was a big deal, and I think that maybe in terms of a contract and, and what the Colts have done in the draft since then uh, puts his spot a little bit more tenuous is Isaiah McKenzie. Um, you know, he didn't, it's not like he signed for a, a big free agent contract. He signed for essentially what, what essentially is a better minimum. And they've kind of brought in like a bunch of different, you know, receiver types um, and guys who've got some, some experience. I mean, not necessarily great experience, but they brought in a bunch of guys who've got some experience. So, I think that 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 receiver battle beyond uh, Pittman, Pierce, Downs could go a lot of different ways. Shane Steichen told us at the owners' meetings that he likes receivers who have different body types and different skill sets, and McKenzie certainly has that. Um, But, you know, does it fit what they're doing on offense? All that kind of stuff. I think that's one of the spots. I think that's maybe a name that um, people are just assuming is on the roster. And I don't necessarily know for sure that that's as – locked and set in stone as as you know it seemed when when they first signed him. Okay, Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star alongside Nate Atkins, Craig Doyle, their coverage for you there, uh Colts related star wise. Um I know it's not the exact same example, Joel, but they certainly play the same position as Jonathan Taylor. You see Dalvin Cook, he's released you know, after year three of a five-year deal. You see Saquon Barkley currently sitting out as he is franchise-tagged, waiting for a longer-term deal. Do you think any of those situations have any relevancy towards Jonathan Taylor entering the final year of his rookie contract? 
Yeah, I do. I, I think I think that that's uh, that those those situations are interesting, and without knowing exactly what those those guys are looking for, um, I, I think that there's there's we keep talking about you know Jonathan Taylor getting a long term deal, and and to me a long term deal is four years or more in general. Um, you know, it, I, different fans can have different definitions. The, the way I kind of think of it is a, a long-term deal is four, three-year deals you can usually get out of after at least two. Um, and so, to me, that's not necessarily uh, the 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 definition of that. When you know, when I've thought about it, the, the deal I keep looking at for running backs is Nick Chubb's, which was three years. Um, I think he got like twelve million a year with with a chance for more. Uh, in in a second year deal, I I I'll bet teams. My under, I, I would guess that teams want something more like that, where there's a little bit less risk on their end as far as you know the wear and tear that goes on running backs. Now, if you're the player, obviously you want as many years as possible so you can get a bigger signing bonus and and spread that out. And Taylor obviously has the the All Pro year as a year where he's he's been the best back in football, so he's probably wants. Well, it's definitely his agent wants um, you know to to maximize that as much as possible. I just wonder with all these guys if they're looking for years that re- aren't really available at their position anymore. I just you know I don't know what Taylor. I, I mean, in terms of the money that he's going to require, Joel, it, it really depends on where the Colts feel that they are. I mean, I, I go back to, and I know that I always harp on this, but I think people forget that that. You know, Anthony Richardson in his first year is going to have Jonathan Taylor behind him, right? Peyton Manning in his yeah. first year had Marshall Falk behind him. Marshall Falk, who who still had two MVPs left in him and a Super Bowl ring, and yet they moved on from him because I don't know if it was as much about money as it was about having like two guys in their prime in the same era because they went with Edron James and he and Peyton were in their prime at the same time. Obviously, Falk still had a lot left in the tank that they didn't necessarily couldn't prognosticate but I just feel like Taylor's a wonderful player a wonderful player but does it does it not seem like if you were to to roll with that that he would be starting to turn the corner of the cliff towards the edge of the cliff right at the time that Richardson needs a running back who is hitting his prime with him and to me that's as much an issue as the financial aspect of it um I Again, if it's a short-term deal, I think I think the, the the best case scenario is Nick Chubb. The best case scenario is, is what Chubb's done in Cleveland, where he got through his first contract. He's played pretty well on his second contract, um, and the contract was not not. It didn't totally handcuff him. Yeah, it didn't yeah. handcuff. It didn't totally handcuff him. And I, I the the money part of that. Uh, especially with the way you can structure stuff. Now, again, the Colts don't generally do this stuff, but like. The money part of it with the cap expected to skyrocket, I don't necessarily know that it's going to hurt them as much, especially with, like, if you think about Richardson being on a rookie deal, uh, you know, if he's if he's good, he'll get the fifth-year option. So you've got four years of a quarterback on a rookie deal, um, essentially, going forward. If he's really good, you're probably going to lock him up before that. But if, if even if you look at it that way, you know, if you if you can sign Taylor to a one year deal, then you're sliding that money in when your when your quarterback is cheaper than he should be. Um, and so, there's still, I think, the opportunity to after that first contract, after that first deal, if you, if you feel like 
you know, Taylor is starting to drop off. If you feel like it, you want to get kind of that prime, prime type of thing, there'll be opportunity down the line if if you have to do, if you want to do that. And so I, I don't necessarily think of it as being as big a deal. Just it's a, for me, the big thing is like, how much are you locking yourself in? When can you get out of it? Uh, and will, is Taylor willing to take a deal like that? Cause that's the hard part here is, you know, Nick Chubb was willing to take a deal that was um, probably less than he wanted and, and probably more team friendly than he wanted. But that seems to be given the Dalvin cook situation, the Saquon Barkley situation, you know, some of the other ones around the league, that seems to be where the running back market is. And, you know, are you willing to do that to stay where you are? Joel, we get into these debates, okay, you know, how much do you pay a running back? Is Michael Pittman a legit number one? How much do you pay him? And I almost think they're not worthless debates at all, but, you know, when you consider the Colts' finances, they have plenty of room to give these guys whatever contracts they would like. It's not like they are paying. First off, they have cap space that they seem very content to not use on an annual basis. They have cap space right now, certainly. It's not like they're paying Richardson anytime soon. It's not like they're paying a left tackle anytime soon. They're not paying a pass rusher. You know, maybe Quiddy Pay here in a couple of years, but it almost just seems like if they want to do it, and I get the Ballard's pretty stringent market-wise, but if they like these guys, which I think they do, I think they will pay them both pretty handsomely. And I think there will be that initial shock when you look at the years and the finances of like, wow, a running back that much, Michael Pittman that much, but I think at the end of the day, it's like, they're not really spending the money anywhere else, might as well support the young guy. Well, so that is that is a big part of this too, is, you know, a player's contract matters, like how much the contract matters. You, I get that there's an argument about, you know, uh where does it relate to the rest of the NFL? Yeah, market value, yeah. Right, whatever. But also also in terms of in terms of the, the the larger question I think is is this doing anything to keep your franchise from doing what it wants? And I mean, like you said, we we haven't seen major free agent investments. Now, I don't I don't think the Colts current contracts are necessarily the reason that you haven't seen that. I think it's more of a philosophical thing. But in terms of re-signing people, with, with the cash space they have going forward, there's plenty of room to slide this in. If they want to sign people, I don't think it'll hinder them from doing that. Um, and as long as Chris Ballard is the general manager and approaches free agency the way he does, um, which I, mean, I think all three of us would say, we'd all like to see him in some form or fashion be more uh, aggressive in free agency. But the way he operates and the way the way they have operated, and on top of that, the way free agent classes keep getting worse, I think that's another piece of this that people don't talk about is like it was a garbage free agent class in <laughs> in the spring in terms of like big names, teams that, guys that you should pay a ton of money to. Uh, I don't necessarily know that it, it's a big deal for that. Now, will people be upset? Will people be like, okay, you're not building your team the right way? I think there's that argument is is the right is 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 there's definitely merit to those arguments. But to what you're saying, KB, yeah, they they're going to have a lot of space to fit these guys in, and I don't necessarily know that it's going to keep them from doing something else. Colts going until Thursday, and then kind of unleashed into the wild for a bit, Kevin, and then they resume. They get how much time off? Yeah, what are we thinking, Joel? Twenty fifth, twenty sixth, somewhere around there of July. 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's always in that, you know, that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday range of that, that last full week of July. Feels like it gets earlier and earlier and earlier. Very uh, curious to see how they handle preseason playing time with those joint practices, but that'll be a topic for a later date. Joel, appreciate it. Yep, yep. Thanks for having me on, guys. See Joel, you in a bit, Joel. Joel A. Erickson covering the Colts on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Time, by the way, for a morning checkdown. Kevin, or, or Mark. Thank Say you. bye to Joel. Calm down. <laughs> Very organic sounds by us there. That Jake. was. That good was work. good. All right, we talked a lot about the NBA Finals, so let's start with Major League Baseball. Last night, Giants over the Cardinals, 4-3. It was the Rangers Still on the short end against the Angels, 9-6. The Oakland Athletics break them up, six in a row. They defeated the Tampa Bay Rays, 4-3. Come on! How many A's can you name? Uh, I can name Tony Kemp, and that is it. Okay, that's not bad. I can name the Scott Hatterberg. The one I got in geology. The one I got in oh, algebra. Uh, Reds over the Royals, 5-4. Eckersley. Giambi. The other, J- G- Jeremy Giambi, not just Jason Giambi. Dave Parker. Uh, Diamondbacks over the Phillies, 9-8. The A's actually have a sneaky history. They, no, for sure. For I don't sure. even know if it's sneaky, actually. Uh, all right, let's go back to the NBA Finals. Last night, it was the Nuggets. How about, like, the Heat not even sniffing 100 in, like, any of these games? I think they scored maybe over 101 of them. Uh, water fighting its level with the Heat here in the Finals. It was a 4-1 series victory for Denver. Certainly some nervous moments last night for the Nuggets. Not the prettiest game by any means, but Nikola Jokic, an MVP-type performance with his efficiency. Uh, several others, Michael Porter Jr., Bruce Brown making the plays. And in true Jokic fashion, here he was to Lisa Salters about winning a championship. Yeah, now you are an NBA champion, Nikola. How does that feel? It's good. It's good. The job is done. We can go home now. Honestly, and, and I don't know if somebody was like joking with me. You just get done from war. Was it? Well, I, I was going to say, was that a ref? I, I thought someone said that that was a reference to the Serbian military, like a tip of the cap to the Serbian military. Mm. Oh, really? Uh, could I be wrong there? Wow, that's deep. I have no idea with Jokic. I, I Certainly, have no his idea. brothers didn't seem to have the Serbian military on their mind. With their I, I will say. I think that we, and I don't mean this to, to be like overly deep here, I, I do think that with some players that come from war-torn countries, and I don't know the history of like Serbia, Lithuania, Croatia, Yugoslavia, I, I mean, it's all, I'm a moron when it comes to that stuff, admittedly, and maybe that's all like well before his, you know, he was even an adult. But I do think that in, in some of those countries, that stuff is far more like on the forefront of mind than it is with us, but I... That's certainly what it sounded like, though. And I don't mean a tip of the cap, but he sounded like a soldier, right? Like, yeah, literally. Uh, Denver Nuggets sixteen and four through this playoff run. That is a record you don't see very often. I mean, last night for the Heat, it was a lot of other guys. Kyle Lowry turning back the clock. I thought Bam Adebayo was their best player throughout the the series. You know, when they got to the finals, the two questions: one, could the undrafted guys keep it up? That was a big no. And could Jimmy Butler continue to be superhuman? Jimmy Butler was very normal in the finals. Very normal. And if you would have said that back a week and a half ago, I think 4-1 would have been what we would have expected. Speaking of military-like direct answers, did you see Butler's interview when asked about the Hall of Fame? No, I did not. He was asked by, I don't know who did the interview with him, but somebody asked him, they're like, well, you know, the when you look at like what you've done here, you're putting together the resume of a Hall of Fame player. And he's like, I don't care. And the guy's like, well, I mean, but that's the ultimate compliment. Like, what would it mean to you to eventually be elected into the Hall of Fame? He's like, wouldn't go. He's like, well, it doesn't mean anything to you? And he's like, no, I'm telling you right now. This was after the game last night? This is before the game. He's like, I'm telling you right now. 
I am a team player. I don't care about individual awards. They mean nothing to me. The only thing that matters is what my team does. And then the guy's like, okay. And they started to move on. And Jimmy Butler's like, no, no, no. Listen, I'm being totally serious. <laughs> and the guy's like, okay. Jimmy Butler and Nikola Jokic in their own ways are very interesting cats. No question. I mean, they're both guys that are very easy to root for. I thought right? the Jamal Murray motion was really cool post game. Obviously, the ACL injury and everything that he's been through, and really, just it was a very unique scene post game. Like Maddie was sitting there watching it with me. She's like, "Why are the Nuggets players not really celebrating with each other?" Now, to be fair, during that like twenty second snippet, Jokic was shaking. I was waiting for him to shake the Miami Heat's mascot's hand. Uh, you know, he got hurt. Did you hear about that? The Heat's mascot? Yeah, did you oh, yeah by Conor McGregor knocking him out. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. No, I did not. Was this a stunt? I think it was supposed to be a Bernie. stunt, and McGregor thought it was legit, and he like popped him twice, and you can see they knocked him out. Dragged Bernie off the that, of the that actually. So game six, there would have been no mascot between Bernie, which is B U R N I E, between Bernie and Rocky, two mascots with famous on court. Mm-hmm. Tragic incidents, right? Boy, we didn't really get Rocky face fronting last night. Rocky is, the, he's the greatest. Taking Six, the championship in stride, Rocky. 625 grand a year, Rocky makes, I saw. Really? When he came here for Boomer's birthday, which is the most underrated, greatest game in Pacers history, when you get to go to that and they have the mascots from all over and Rocky's there. Rocky upstaged every other mascot that was here, and I watched him walk an entire lap around Banker's Life Fieldhouse on the seats. One of the most impressive things I've ever seen. I feel like the Heat guy should get an upgrade for McGregor knocking him out. <laughs> no He's question. got some kind of financial compensation. HR getting a little call there from him on that end. Uh, the- NHL Stanley Cup final tonight, game five. That will be the Golden Knights hosting the Panthers as Vegas looks to win it's that over. one for It's over, one. right? Yeah, I think Vince so. Carter, it's over? Yeah, it's over. And they're going to be popping pills early at the Villages tonight, oh. I think. Excuse me? Well, I'm Easy just saying. Now. They're going to be like, that game's over. It looked like you, hey, you were thinking, of, come here. You were thinking about making a stop at the Villages. Oh, I, I drove past it. And I was like, is that what I think it is? And Ash was like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, man. Need to take a picture of this one. Lots of blue hairs on golf carts. Just blue hairs on golf carts. Uh-huh. They have a oh, Brink security drunk truck to bring the blue pills into the Villages. Come on, Edgar. They said Cialis is back in stock at the clubhouse. Let's go. You guys realize that I'm like 15 years from this? 15? That seems generous. <laughs> Possibly preparing you for, I think, what some would call a great life. <laughs> okay. They hand out golf tees and the blue pills at the clubhouse there and the villages there to get you ready for your round. Uh, all right. When we come back, uh, 9 o'clock hour going to be heavy draft focus from an NBA standpoint. That's next on the calendar. NBA waste no time. Coming up here in nine days, the Pacers have another big-time draft, and I do think for the Colts, we didn't talk with Joel Erickson about this, a couple of players with some very important years that could help speed up this rebuild. We'll chat about that coming up. Is it back to overcast? Am I seeing that, Mark? I think so. I hope so, because I'm going to nap all day. Sounds like that's going to be the type of day we've got here. A little bit of rain potentially later in the forecast. Kevin Aquarius right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. You know this is coming up, right, Mark? What? I've got to get the exact date here. It's at the end of the month, I believe. Uh, Noel Gallagher. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Here in town. Mm-hmm. And, and my understanding, it's We're at- June 29th at Ruoff. And if you look at his set list of other shows, I know that he's got his own band now, but the vast majority of his performances are Oasis songs. Sign me up. You going to be there, Jake? I am going to be there. They, they would be one of the bands where, like, if they got back together, I mean, 
I'm in. They're selling out tours left I, and right. I've they're said headlining festivals. If Oasis reunites, I will go to whatever city they're playing in on opening night. I uh-huh. said the same thing for Guns N' Roses and did that. Uh, of course, that was probably a little more affordable than an Oasis reunion. Yeah. Do you guys see uh, Pat Sachak hanging it up? I saw that. Well, he's 71, right? Ed Grimley's beside himself. I, I, just, I just assumed they had cloned him and Vanna White. Clock's ticking for Ed Grimley. You guys have no idea what that reference means, but... Oh, I Seems like a pretty decent guy, I must say. I would say one. Um, <laughs> Again, one, your 15 year people, people, projection. People was 15 generous. over in their car. Pat Sajak is 76, by the way. Is he 76? Old? Yeah. Wow. One without question con of having young children is my Wheel of Fortune Jeopardy viewing is now virtually extinct. Really? Seven o'clock is just a prime. Yeah, I could see that. Get the kiddos down for bed. I have to say, if I met Pat Sajak, I'd go totally mental. <laughs> well, one of the things, one thing That's that an when, when I when I first came from to college in Indianapolis, moving from Illinois, one of the weirder things was seeing Jeopardy on at night because in Illinois it's on at like four o'clock. Really? Okay. And Oprah was on at nine a.m. and in in Indy it was on at like three p.m. I've like, probably told you guys this, but when I was at University of Kansas, why the hell is that? that Jeopardy no would sense. Jeopardy would come on at four o'clock in the Topeka station. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, then you cheat or something. Oh yeah, and then it was on at like six o'clock in the Kansas City station, and of course everybody else was in class at four o'clock. I shockingly was not, and so at six o'clock I was a total ringer. I went like half the semester before anybody figured it out. <laughs> that sounds right on par. Oh, it was great. Is this when you like tweet about plays that happen on the radio and act like you are predicting Colts plays during I've never done Colts that. season. I've never done that. The radio's like, I mean, the radio is delayed. Also, I mean, it takes a while to get that stuff out. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, we need a lie detector to hook up there. Fine. It would have exploded, I think. Uh, Nikola Jokic, first player in NBA history to lead all players in points, rebounds, and assists in an NBA Finals. Did you guys see the video of him and uh, him tossing Jamal Murray into the pool? Yeah. And the then he went in with them. Center. In the Nuggets center, I mean. Yeah, in their team facility. Um, yeah, he's a great player. I mean, and that was a historic performance. No question about that. And you had mentioned, Kevin, um, you know, we talked about with the Nuggets. It was the auxiliary pieces. Jokic was fabulous. Murray was fabulous. But those other auxiliary pieces were critically important. It's a nice blueprint for the Pacers. And at the same time, you were mentioning when it comes to the Colts, there are some auxiliary pieces as well that that you're curious about here as we get set and head into the offseason that is going to be short heading into training camp. Yeah, obviously everything is so Anthony Richardson-focused and understandably so heading into this season. But you know, when you talk about the positions that matter the most on a football team outside a quarterback and positions the Colts have either swung and missed or you could argue ignored over the last handful of years, they have guys in place at left tackle and at pass rusher that they hope and think could be the guys there. Uh, it's Bernard Ryman at left tackle, and it's Quiddy Pay at defensive end. Um, it, it's probably more an indication of how really piss poor the attempt has been to find the next pass rusher. But I think if you go back to the last decade, Jake, I don't think you can find a young rusher on this football team, pass rusher that is, uh, that has had a better start to his career than Quiddy Pay. Now, again, it's probably more an indication of what, or the lack of Jerry Hughes' start, or Bjorn Werner's start, or Kamoko Ture's start, or you know whoever else, Ben Banigou, you want to throw throw into that group. But if you can get Pay, 
and Ryman Wright, which still remains to be seen. Again, Ryman, we'll see about the growth into year two. For pay, I think it's more health than anything. Yeah, for Quiddy Pay, let me ask you, Kevin, not to cut you off there, but I just did. If you were to, to grade Quiddy Pay at this point, you know, he, on a one to 10 scale, in terms of the expectation from where he was drafted to now, you would say that his production has been a what? Yeah, I'd give it a solid B. Okay. Yeah, to go letter grade. I, so you think he has shown enough flash to say, okay, th- this guy looks like he's going to be a player? Yeah, I don't think he's like making a opposing offense coordinator, you know, not be able to sleep during that week and getting ready for him. You know, I, I think he still has to take another stride. But I mean, if you look at it, what he twelve games last year, six sacks in those twelve games. So you know, if that becomes sixteen or seventeen games, he's hovering around double digit sacks. I think for year two, that's that's pretty solid. Um, again, I still would like to see maybe a little bit more of just a consistent burst and presence off the edge from him. And he would be the first one to tell you that he just needs to flat out be healthy after missing two games as a rookie and then five games, I think, is the one he points to more last year. But if you can get Pay and Ryman correct, all of a sudden you have done wonders to creating a blueprint. Obviously, if you want to take the Nuggets example, you have to find a Jokic. Richardson's got to be Jokic, just flat out. But to get on the run, the Denver's had Jokic playing at a really high level for the last few years. They've needed a healthy Murray. They've needed Porter growing a little bit more and getting healthy. Obviously, Aaron Gordon's presence. You need other things to fit into that puzzle. And for the Colts, you could make the argument outside of Richardson. You'd probably throw in the receiver group into this. But outside of Richardson, Pay and Ryman and their development over the next three to five years are the most important factors to the Colts. More important than the health of Shaq Leonard, more important than Quentin Nelson, more important than DeForest Buckner. I think you can make a very strong argument that what Quiddy Pay and Bernard Ryman look like in 2026 will have a huge impact on how successful this um, run is, non-Richardson division. Yeah, Pay is one... Um I think it's unfair because of where he was drafted that immediately people are like, he's the next Dwight Freeney. I don't know if anybody was saying that, but I'm saying I think the expectation is there. Whenever you go where he went, then there's the thought process, Kevin, that it's immediate production. Yeah, was he 21st overall? Yeah, and like I that? think the NFL has the, like, the, the longest acclamation. Well, Major League Baseball maybe, but I mean, you know, it's it's not often that a guy comes in and immediately makes that splash. Especially takes, at that position. Right. But, I mean, you're right. It, ha- it There is a laundry list of names that have just been cycled up and spit out by the well, Colts at that and, position. And Jake, we're not even talking about swings that, you know, were little dribblers down to first base. We're talking about swings and misses. Is it possible Ben Banigou has a Jerry Hughes-type resurrection elsewhere? Oh, boy. Would that be salt in the wounds? No way, right? I... Dallas picked him up last week. Is that right? Same school, right? Back in the Fort Worth area? Uh, same school. What do you mean? Banigou, TCU? Didn't Jerry Hughes go to TCU? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a second, I thought you meant Quiddy Pay. Uh, TCU in the College World Series? Who are we rooting for? Are we rooting for TCU? Oh, we got to root for TCU, the way they raise money. What about Oral Roberts? Yeah. I have a nickname for them, but I can't say it on the air. Oh, jeez. You can't say it twice. You can say it once, and then you'll probably be on a little vacation. Do you want to know my nickname? For Easy now. Are you going to write we it got out? kids going to camp. Butler basketball camp starting this week. I'm writing it out, and then we'll have 
Mark assess on an A to F. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> That's. <laughs> that was a lot funnier than I thought it would be. <laughs> so these eight teams, I mean, it's clear. I mean, we've got Blue Blood Central. Florida, Virginia, TCU, Stanford, Wake Forest, Tennessee, and LSU. Wake Forest is really good, right? Their run differential is like the is it the biggest ever? Yeah, I mean they're really good. And LSU brings what thirty thousand fans to Omaha every year. Now I'm Wake Forest has a fun mascot, the Demon Deacon. At Clemson games, he, he walks around and he's a fairly fun guy to watch. Is Wake Forest the lowest enrollment of any Power Five school? Let's guess the enrollment of Wake Forest. Mark, uh, we'll look this up because what do we do on this program? We educate and entertain. Correct. I'm going to go with. Are we going undergrad? Do they I'll have go graduate 3, schools? Thirty-eight hundred. I'll go sixty-seven hundred. I'll say fifty-five hundred. Okay. Go ahead. And Would look it TCU up there, have a big school? That's a good question. TC, I'll look up TCU. You look up Wake. Are we doing graduate also or just undergrad? Uh, I say undergrad. Okay. Uh, to do undergrad four hundred for which one for Wake? Ooh, Mark, what I was still guess? over though. Yeah, you were over. Uh, TCU ten thousand. I mean, today's day and age, those are small schools. You're right. Florida, UVA, ORU, and TCU. I ever tell you at the time I made an ORU poster and brought it to BW threes. Uh, please elaborate. So there was one year in the NCAA tournament where I picked a forty one hundred for Oral Roberts. By the way, forty one hundred. Oh, wow. They're small as well. 16, 15, and a 14, and a 13 seed. I picked all those seeds to advance in the tournament. One of them. 16, 15, 14, and a 13. This is back when I was in high school. Uh, the 13 was, um, I think it was Cornell beat Kansas. Is it, does that sound right? That that was um, Randy Whitman's son was on the team, right? Oh, that is right. What, 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 was that the same Cornell team? Maybe it was a different team. I think it was a different red team. Was it Bradley? It was Bradley. Bradley did beat Kansas, yep. The 14th seed with Northwestern State. They made a shot in the corner beat late to beat Iowa. So I was, I was thinking golden there. My 15 was Winthrop. Chris Lofton hit a shot to beat them as a two seed. My 16th seed was Oral Roberts. They were up seven on Memphis with about four minutes to go in the first half. Uh, me and my buddies, uh, we were just on with high school golf trials. We went to B-dubs. I tried to start an ORU chant in the B-dubs in Castleton. <laughs> did not land. Uh, Memphis won by Oh, three. you should have chanted what Jake wrote down. That would have probably got some chance. <laughs> yeah, the initials of Jake's chant was, was a BB. No, 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 Nope, not It'd be a draft talk coming up at the 9 o'clock hour. Alex Golden will get a little Pacers-centric. Five picks for Indiana coming up. Would you rather see a trade? Uh, would you rather see them take a player at 7, trade up, or trade for a veteran? I think that is a debate a lot of Pacers fans have had. And then what to do with those three picks late in round one, early in round two. We'll do that with Alex Golden in about 10 minutes. And make sure we're not fired. See ya. So JMV just mentioned Jethro Toll tickets. I remember one time... Um, I walked into a hornet's nest when I mentioned on the air. I can't even remember the two bands that I mentioned that I like in my mind categorized them together. Like you know what I mean? Like you hear a song and you're like, "Oh, is that so and so?" And it's like, "No, it's so and so." Like, "Oh, that's right." I get those two confused. And I think Todd Meyer and Sam Fritz both came in here, um, like ready to throw me out the window because they're like, "You have no idea." And they were so offended. I could totally see that. Uh, Jethro Tull. I'm going to give you two bands that, like, in my mind, I categorize as similar to Jethro Tull, and I am fully anticipating and expecting that people are going to come up here and want to throw me out the window for it, okay? Molly Hatchet and Deep Purple. Mark, your thoughts? 
I mean, I don't even think I can name a Jethro Tull song. That, well, when one plays, you go, I think that's Jethro Tull. And then they go, no, that's Molly Hatchet. I'm, I'm in Mark's boat. They're a band like I've heard their name, but I don't know if I've ever totally. heard their song. If I've heard their song, it's I've it's been unknown to me. Yeah, I would probably I would certainly need to hear the song I, before that. I don't disagree. Uh, speaking of ticket show giveaways coming up in less than a month, that would be Tuesday, July 11th. We will all be out at the back nine, uh, awesome golf entertainment spot right here. Um, just south, I guess, southwest of downtown. Uh, all of our shows will be live that day, uh, raising money for the American Heart Association, partnering with Franciscan Health for that. It is our fan golf outing. Um, for those unfamiliar with the back nine, again, think just like golf entertainment. You hit shots out into you know area, you get points, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the beauty of it is you don't have to be an avid golfer. Exactly. We're not going on some pristine golf course and you're worried about, oh, man, I'm going to skull it in front of everybody or divots. You're drinking, eating, having fun. Um, Head to our website uh, to get a spot in the outing. Again, that is 1075thefan.com for the back nine. That is the fan golf outing presented by Franciscan Health. I am really looking forward to the U.S. Open this week. My, It's probably my favorite major. I love carnage. I love seeing these guys wilt. Where is it this year? L.A. Country Club, an incredible venue. Fortunate my brother's had some... Um, awesome, cool experiences in the golf world. He was a part of the Walker Cup, which is basically like the junior version of the Ryder Cup um, back in 2017. And so went out there to L.A. Country Club, uh, first time hosting the U.S. Open. And I cannot wait to see the uniqueness of that golf course and these players on it. When did the... Um, Some cool shots of downtown L.A. as well. He, from here's the a dumb golf question. Uh, admittedly, a dumb golf question. Um the Waste Management Open, that's yes, the one that's in uh-huh. Phoenix, right? Right. Super when did, Bowl weekend. When did that become a thing? Like the party atmosphere? Yeah. Uh, I would say it ramped up in the last handful of years. Because it's only been like in the last three or four years that I've heard people talking about it. Yeah, I think they've grown that stadium setting on 16, and they've really played that up more and more. I, I'd say the last half dozen years. You know, Tiger made a hole-in-one there. Like, in, boy, he was just early in his pro career. So, so the Waste Management Open is the carb day of golf events, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, I, I think they've played to it. But it's always been quite the scene, but the full experience of it certainly has risen here, I think, in the last few years. By the way, I think tomorrow... I'm going to bring in, Jake, I've got this unbelievable Indianapolis Motor Speedway mem- memorabilia. Maddie's not too thrilled with it, but I am very excited about it. I, I, I'm looking forward to showing you. Say that again? <laughs> Just didn't pay attention at all. <laughs> Somebody was getting on me about Jethro Toll. Sorry. Can we? Can that save till the break? Yeah. No. So, so say again. <laughs> Story of my life here. Uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway memorabilia. Okay. Mark just dying laughing over there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think you're going to like it, but I don't know. Maybe you're going to be texting about Jethro Tull Well, no, instead. somebody sent me a thing like, oh, my gosh, you're an idiot. I'm like, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. I, yeah, I shouldn't have had my phone there. Sorry. Um, I think it's a really cool piece of memorabilia, and I'm curious your your thoughts on it. Okay. Maddie, not thrilled with it. Oh, where are you going to put that? I'm like, I'll, I'll find a spot. Do you have a basement? 
I do have a basement, yes. Have you had stuff already that's been relegated to the basement? Well, Like a Chris Thomas jersey hanging in the basement? <laughs> a Chris Quinn jersey. Uh, speaking of my heat assistant, that's the jersey I, I um, wore for my high school uh, yearbook picture. Um, it's a Micah Shrewsbury shrine at the moment. I know. Um, yeah, yesterday we saw a picture of uh, someone, or I was with a buddy, a uh, guy taking a shirt off. He goes, oh, that looks like you with Micah Shrewsbury. I'm like, gosh, is that a thing? <laughs> uh, so the basement kind of turned into we both work from the basement during COVID there for a bit. So we did have a couple desks down there. We also have a little bit of a play area. Um, so it's not really like man cavey, but this item screams man cave. Am I to guess what it is? No, I, I just think you will find it. I'll, I'll bring it in. And before I unveil it, you can guess by the shape of it. But it's a really, I've got to say thank you to some people um, for giving me this gift. And I think it's really, it's got a vintage look to it. Is I think a, I think you will find it uh, really cool. Is it a trough? <laughs> it is not a trough. Okay. You know what Kevin's going to say tomorrow when he brings it in? This sounds weird. You want to touch it? <laughs> <laughs> I think I will say that, Mark. I don't doubt now it. Now you have my attention again. And Jake might let out a Howard Dean Yelp. That's right. We've been asking for some audio the last 48 hours, and it's been a little... It's been a little I, I have to have some end. kind of like you know job security, so I have to hide all the drops. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll talk some NBA draft coming up, 9 o'clock hour. Again, what would it cost for the Pacers to wheel and deal? Should they go the veteran route? Should they try to move up for a Brandon Miller? Alex Golden on the other side. Kevin Aquari here, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Now, this is Jethro Toll, right? Yeah. Little like River Band. Music. That's a better comparison that I get confused with. The Little River Band. How's that? I feel like it's a musical chairs game back in elementary school. <laughs> Give me some, like, you know... 1970s like quiz show theme song literally Alex Golden talk NBA draft here in a second Jake you've heard of pretty much every high school in the state of Indiana right now well that would have been true like a year ago every time I turn around and look now there's an abandoned marsh at some new academy okay one of the leaders in the boys golf state finals right Mm -hmm. now attends Trinity School at Greenlaw okay At, at Greenlaw so we've got Fairfield, So that was Plainfield, what that is, is the, the Green Law Firm closed, and there's a strip Carmel, mall somewhere. And you are everywhere. a huge nerd. Where do you think Trinity School of Green Law is? Like I said, in the abandoned Green Law Firm that somebody opened up and decided to make it an academy. According to Wikipedia, it's a private... Bring your voucher, and class starts Tuesday. Private Christian school located in South Bend, grades 6 through 12, funded by the People of Praise in 19... 19- 81 with fewer than 30 students mm-hmm. since it attracts students from northwest indiana and southwest michigan as well as international students currently enrollment well, now wait a minute it's got 12. how many kids uh well in 81 it had fewer than 30 <laughs> from international michigan and indiana now what, it's like up to five each 252 grades 6 through 12 uh care to guess their mascot the trinity school at Greenlawn? uh the crusaders trojans oh mark nfl mascot Vikings. Knights. No, no, Saints. Saints. The Tennessee Titans. Damn it. <laughs> it's a Christian school. Mark, watch your mouth. Are you allowed to say that, Mark? First you break out a prophylactic, and now you're going with foul language. <laughs> I don't think I busted out of that. Alex anything. Golden setting the pace as the podcast. I'm this sure he's is thrilled to be joining us a now. a busy time of year. We are nine days out from the NBA draft. Alex, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. How are we doing? <laughs> We are doing great. Uh, thank you for the time this morning. All right, number seven. Uh, would you rather see a trade for a, for a veteran or a trade up to number two or three? 
Yeah, if I'm trading seven, I'm probably wanting to trade up if I can. Uh, so that that would be my dream there. But I also wonder maybe you just stay at seven instead of trading out for a veteran. It's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. But uh, if you can if you can trade up, that that's always enticing, especially if there's a guy you like. So Alex, I believe, and I want your thought on this. Uh, it is my understanding, just in kind of sniffing around a little bit, that the Pacers have resigned themselves to the fact that to move up beyond seven, it would cost them too important a piece that they already have in existence that they don't want to part with. So they're going to stick where they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with that. I think that with so much smoke being out that the Pacers are looking to move up, it does make me wonder a little bit if that's not going to happen now because usually when there's a lot of smoke, you don't usually see that. And so I'm sure they've made phone calls, and I'm sure those teams probably released that information to try and get other bidders out there as well. But, yeah, I mean, it makes sense for other Pacers who want to move up if they really like somebody. But, yeah, I think that at that point, if they do have to move up, you're kind of taking a step back in terms of where you're at, uh, in terms of trying to build this team up. And Tyrese Halliburton just said, I think it was on Friday on Twitter, that the goal for him next year is to make the playoffs. So that would not be in the direction of making the playoffs if they do that kind of move. And I think here's the thing. This is my educated opinion, okay? And that is that I believe the Pacers love Brandon Miller. I think he's the guy that they looked at in the top three picks, for example, and said that that's who we would love to have. And I think it's been very clear that Brandon Miller now is – it has been equally made clear that he is not going to fall past two. And I think it's Charlotte that has two, and they're like, that's who they're taking. And so Indiana's like, okay, we're out. That that, that answered the question for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know that, but that just appears to be the case. But moving forward from that, would you agree with this? They can still get a really good player for what they need at seven, and it appears as though those are the guys that are working out. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I'll just say real quick with Charlotte, like, yeah, it seems like Brandon Miller is the guy, but all season last year, everybody thought Jabari Smith was going one to Orlando. So I would not be shocked if Scoot Henderson goes two to Charlotte. But uh, I think that they're just trying to keep it tight up and uh, try to figure out the best way to go about uh, getting trade offers. But I will say this in terms of seven, I do think there's a lot of interesting prospects that could fall to seven. And that's why it, it's really up in the air who's going to be there because after the top three, it feels like four to nine. It's, it's very interchangeable. So it's smart to bring these guys in here. Clearly, if you're looking fit-wise, you need a power forward. So that's why you've seen a lot of mocks frequently draft, uh, have them taking either Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, which have both had individual workouts, surprisingly, on the same day. So I think the Pacers are very well aware of that, and I think that they like a lot of the guys in that area. But at the same time, they're just not in that same tier as Brandon Miller, and that's been pretty – well stated by both Chad Buchanan and Kevin Pritchard. So I, I, I think that they're going to find good talent there, but it's one of those things where I don't know if you're going to find an all-star in this draft at seven. You could. You never know. But it doesn't seem like the ceiling for a lot of these guys that could, potentially could be there at that power four position really scream, hey, they have all-star potential. Setting the Pace is the podcast for Alex Golden. Does a great job covering the Pacers. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Alex, I want to stick with this hypothetical about trading up for just a second. What would make Charlotte say, hmm, like create a trade package for me? I'm not saying that the Pacers would say yes to this, but what do you think a trade package would look like to go from 7-2 to two that Charlotte would at least think about? 
That's a great question. Um, off the top of my head, it's kind of hard to come up with. Like, I know last time I was on here, right after the draft lottery, I was talking about Matherin as a trade piece, but I don't I don't think the Pacers are moving off of him. Yeah, I wanted to slash your tires after you said that. I, I know, and it's, it's one of those things where it feels like that's what teams would probably be asking for. I don't think the Pacers would do it. I think. So would it be like 7, 26, 29, a future first, and a Matherin? Uh, take out Matherin, throw in Turner? Would that do it? I think you're probably looking at Turner, uh, probably Duarte, potentially Nimhard, and then you're looking at seven and probably a future pick, unprotected next year, something like that. Because um, I always kind of go back to what Dallas did with Atlanta when they traded up to get Luka Doncic at three. They basically just traded next year's pick unprotected and swapped picks. Well, that was only moving up two spots. Now you're talking about moving up five spots. So I think that that's a little bit more – of a haul that you're going to have to give up. I think Turner is going to have to be involved in any deal uh, and when you look at moving up in the draft because these teams that are moving up, or moving back, I should say, they're looking for talent that can help them right now. And with Steve Clifford being a defensive-minded coach, I can see him really being enticed by the defensive potential of having Miles and Nimhart and Duarte, who, when he was healthy, was a pretty solid defender. So I could I could see them being intrigued by that and then finding somebody at, four, uh, at seven. But... I don't think 26 and 29 are too appealing to them because that just creates a lot of uh, roster spots they're going to have to figure out. So, But they could get off a contract like a Gordon Hayward who's expiring, or they could try to move off of a Terry Rozier who's got a couple more years left on his deal, and that could be another way to look at trying to trade back as we get off this contract as well and, and, and kind of solidify ourselves in the future moving forward. I think the piece that is the deal-breaker for Indiana – is the discussions that they've had with various franchises, as soon as Halliburton's name comes up, Indiana hangs the phone up. Oh, yeah. Halliburton's not going anywhere. Well, I understand. But what I'm saying is, in the discussions that I think Indiana has had with other franchises about moving into the top three, Halliburton is the name that is from the other side that has said, if you want us to continue the conversation, let's discuss Halliburton. And that's the end of the conversation. Understandably so, right? I mean, understandably so. But that's, you know, that's the piece clearly Indiana's going to build around. And I think Matherin is probably, to me, Alex, Matherin, you have to run with because he is a player that has shown that he has, you know, that he can play. And so you go with a known quantity based on his age at this point to go with Halliburton. And you, you add on to that. Yeah, well, it's very similar to, to last year. You know, like, everybody was like, well, we can't trade Duarte. It was all-rookie second team and then kind of fell out of the rotation. But I think with Mather, it's totally different. Because he was, you know, showcased in the starter towards the end of the season, that all-rookie first team really showed a lot of things that the Pacers have needed for a while. And that's someone that's got a little bit of a dog in him that's not afraid of the moment and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think Mather has too much talent right now to just punt on him after year one. So that would be a very difficult trade to make and I, I wouldn't do it personally but yeah uh, going back to Halliburton I mean I think if you're looking at this draft class I don't even know if, I mean you can maybe say Brandon Miller might become better than Halliburton in his career but that's not a guarantee so there's no way that I'm trading Halliburton uh, to, to get up into the top three the only person I would even trade Halliburton for is Wimbledon I mean, we know the Spurs aren't doing that so um, but I don't think the Pacers would be that I'm just saying talent wise I, I can't see any scenario where you give up Halliburton for anybody in this draft correct no that's correct 
Alex Golden with us. It's Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. He joins us on the Payless Slickers Hotline, setting the pace as the podcast here covering the Pacers. You were kind of hitting at this a little bit earlier, but I, I, I do want to get into that 26-29-32 range. Again, 26 and 29 fall in the first round. Pacers have those picks. 32 is early in the second. Give us two to three names in that area, Alex, that Again, I, I, I know it's not frequent that you see hits there, but I mean the Pacers had a hit in that range last year. You see NBA teams, you know, certainly that have uh, gone on deep playoff runs. Toronto had a late, a lot of late first round hits. You know, Golden State had some. Draymond Green, Jordan Poole in that area. Give us two to three names in that area that intrigue you. If the Pacers stay there and make one of those selections, twenty six, twenty nine, thirty two. Yeah, I think the first one I'm going to go with is Gigi Jackson, someone the Pacers brought in. Youngest player in the draft. A lot of red flags for how he handled things at South Carolina. Completely understand all of that. But I think that the upside is there. I think there's a ton of potential there. And if I'm the Pacers... Will you get into those red flags, if you don't mind? Yeah, well, he kind of had some outbursts with his coaching staff. Um, Went on Instagram Live and kind of called his coaching staff out. Uh, for not liking the way things are going. And other than that, I really don't think there was a whole lot, but that's that's a big red flag. Just like immaturity. I think that's a big one there. And it's like, I think the Pacers, if you had asked me this question two years ago, they would not have had the infrastructure to handle someone like this. But I think recently, with bringing on Halliburton and Rick Carlisle and kind of re-solidifying this roster, I think that they are in a much better spot now to handle someone like this, where they, they could be patient with them, not ask them to come in right away, but give him two or three years and this guy could be a major contributor for this team because there's a ton of upside. I think he was the number one ranked uh, high school student coming into this uh, class before it reclassified. Um, So if he were to actually came in, I think he was supposed to be a senior in high school last year when he came into this, uh, this year at uh, South Carolina, it was just very immature, but he's got a great background. Like I think his dad's a pastor. He just, he gets a lot. I just, he gets a lot of things, but I just feel like, just immature. I mean, at, at eight, 17 years old, 18 years old, I think we all are probably doing a lot of dumb stuff. So he's a name that I'm really intrigued with. Uh, some of the other guys they've brought in, and one guy they actually have coming in today that I'm pretty intrigued by is uh, Olivier Maxson's Prosper. He had a really good combine. I think that he's someone that fits that wing mold that could make a lot of sense. They've been bringing in a lot of wings. And then lastly, this is just someone I'm intrigued by because I feel like they could tighten up their center position and – I just believe in his game. I think he's actually going to be a pretty good pro, and that's Trish Jackson Davis uh, from IU. And it's not even me being a homer IU fan because I get that a lot. But we had a draft analyst come on our show, and he said every single year that we talk about Trace in the draft, I just don't see it for him. He said, but this year I'm to the point. He's improved so much every single year and just gotten better and better that I believe he's going to end up being uh, one of those guys when you do a redraft that he's like a top 15, top 20 pick because he's just he just gets it. And he's got a great feel for the game. So those are the three names that I'm pretty intrigued by at that at that spot. Yeah, what I was told on Trace Jackson Davis after his workout was uh, does what he does th- very well and has really improved in the areas that he has not been credited for. So that would I would assume mean shooting. So um, and then it was you know basically twenty eight to thirty five, which is right around where the Pacers are going to pick. So Alex, I don't think you're off base in the fact that he's a possibility there, right? Um, yeah. Alex Golden, our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Aside from the draft, and I don't know, and I'm assuming haven't really done a deep dive on this, Alex, but but 
I'm assuming that they're going to wait till after the draft to kind of figure out where their roster lies. But where do things stand in terms of the free agents the Pacers have and whether or not they would have an interest in retaining any of them? Yeah, so your, your free agents right now are George Hill, James Johnson, and O'Shea Brissett. And I so think Brissett would probably George, be the only, right? I don't even know if O'Shea makes a lot of sense to come back, in my personal opinion. I think it's just too much of a crowded room there. I think the only one that makes sense to me is bringing back one of the vets just to kind of, like I said earlier, keep that uh, infrastructure kind of stabilized. And I think at this point in their careers, George Hill has more to offer than James Johnson as that third-string point guard, combo guard, that can do a little bit more, So, uh, and the Tyson, Indiana, of course. So I think that George Hill probably is the only one that I really think has a great chance of coming back. I know O'Shea is very good friends with Tyrese Halliburton, and that could be more of a factor than I'm giving him credit for. But at the same time, I just feel like O'Shea is a good young player. I just don't know where the playing time is going to come in at. So for me, I think that's that. And I think Kendall Brown, I think he's a, a free agent. But I... I anticipate Kendall Brown being back on, on a two-way deal. I don't think he'll be uh, on the roster. I, w- I wouldn't give him a roster spot yet. I just don't think that that's uh, – he hasn't had a fair shake yet to kind of prove himself, but he hasn't shown enough either to get it. And then Gabe York's the other guy on the two-way contract. I, I think that they'll kind of do what they did last year, wave him and bring somebody else on from the draft uh, on that two-way spot as well. But, yeah, overall, I just I – don't, I don't think there's only one free agent that comes back out of the five. Alex, last one from me. Wings, three, four position, defensive-minded. We've heard that endlessly, very understandably, of the biggest need for the Pacers entering this offseason. What would you put second on the list in terms of skill set, positional need? Great question. Um, They've really got to figure out their backup five position, in my opinion. I know Isaiah Jackson's got a lot of upside, but I still feel like we're a little ways away. They've got enough point guards. I think they've got enough scorers. Um, it's it's really like, you know, wings is what they need the most. I, it's hard to overemphasize it, but it's really the case. Like, they need threes and fours that can guard multiple positions. But I think that Daniel Tice, serviceable big man, he's not going to be here probably long term. Jalen Smith, he really thought of the rotation. It's just I, I don't see a great backup five to Miles. And at the same point, you got to remember, Miles is still only under contract for the next two years. So if you really believe that Isaiah is going to be that guy – then we really got to see him take those steps forward the next two years or you're looking at another probably extension for Miles and then still trying to find that backup five. So I just think that, to me, uh, is where I'm at, even though we have a lot of centers on the roster. I think they just got to find something that they can trust a little bit more, especially if they want to be a playoff team. Alex Golden NBA, a week from Thursday, the madness will begin. Now the finals is over, all attention on the draft and then free agency to follow. The NBA wastes no time with their offseason. <laughs> Things get rampant here very, very quickly. Alex, thank you, man. Yeah, thank you all so much for having me on. And I uh, just want to give a couple of shout-outs real quick before I go. Uh, obviously, Bob Kravitz let go by the Athletic. I just want to give him a shout-out and just say, uh, you know, one of the nicest people that I've interacted with since doing the podcast, just very supportive and uh, wishing them nothing but the best. And then my in-laws are celebrating their 25th anniversary today. So got to give them a happy anniversary shout out while I'm on. Here. Now, hold on. Their names? Uh, Mark and Eileen. Mark and what was the other one? Eileen. So like Eileen with an A at the end. So Eileen. Mark and Eileen. Happy 25th wedding anniversary. How about that? Thank you for both of those shout-outs. Happy anniversary. Alex, have a good one, man. 
right, thanks, guys. I'll see you. You guys ever watch the Flintstones? What was that song? Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, yeah. happy anniversary, happy now, anniversary. Am, am I imagining things? Or at your 50th, was there a remix to the birthday song from the Quarry family? That, that's possible. You want to share? You seem a little I hesitant. No, I don't. I don't remember that. I, but for some reason, that's you know. Obviously, the birthday parties that I attend are largely family, right? You know, it's not like I'm attending random birthday parties. But for some reason, I feel like in the last year or so, I was at a birthday party and there was a bit of a twist to the song. I, and now I'm picturing that I was at Big Lug. Well, I know this. This is the only thing I can tell you. My mom has always poked fun at the fact that she's not a great singer. So she intentionally does a happy birthday song, like completely out of tune and out of pitch. I don't know if that's what you're thinking of. That would be the only thing I could think of. I don't remember anybody singing me happy birthday though. No, and I, and I wasn't, I wasn't drinking. But that's Flintstones. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Wow, Fred, you remembered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Speaking you're of remembering, welcome. Karen Query's 80th. Do we have that in the calendar for next year? Want to make sure you don't miss, <laughs> don't forget. miss on that one. No, I remember June sixth. We're in Hilton Head, Jake. <laughs> I think that was a planned vacation. Like, mm-hmm. when's he busy? Okay, we're going. Uh, I, they changed the date like three times, and they're like, "We, we told you when we're going." No, you know. Okay. I'm just, yeah, we're thinking we'll leave the first last Sunday in May. Do you have anything that? My day, sister's Jake? like, "We're we're leaving the Friday before the race. Are you available?" Probably the perfect time to leave town, honestly, if you have nothing to do from a race standpoint. Jake will be in Road America, by the way, this weekend coming up. Correct. Um, that is Wisconsin? That is Elkhart about Lake, an right? hour. Yeah, Elkhart Lake. About an hour. and So, easiest way to say it. Elkhart Lake would be to Milwaukee what, like, probably Lafayette or Crawfordsville would be to Indianapolis. Okay. Cool area. Very cool. And the... the um, the track itself, you know, it's a four-mile track. It's a massive track, but it's a beautiful. It's literally like if there was a racetrack in Brown County. If wow! You, if you were a camping person and you thought about going to a race to camp, that's the one to go to because it's massive. I do remember some of the shots being pretty cool, just from an environment um, standpoint. So that's coming up on Sunday as IndyCar back in action. All right, before we get to Kristen Peake, talk some more NBA draft on a national scale. At around nine forty, we've got the pop quiz. But before all of that, a morning check. Now. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Your NBA champions, the Denver Nuggets, last night closing out the NBA Finals, four games to one. The first championship in Denver Nugget history that now puts the Pacers and the Nets on the clock as the oldest franchises in the association without a championship. Nuggets 94-89 over the Heat. Nikola Jokic, the series MVP, 28 points, 16 boards. Michael Porter Jr. had 16 and 13. Jamal Murray with 14. Jimmy Butler with 21 for Miami. It's good. It's good. The, the job is done. We can go home now. You see how upset he was when he heard that the parade's oh not till gosh. Thursday? He was not happy. He wants to go home to his horses. Yeah. Big horse racing guy. Really? On Sundays. What do you mean I can't go home? Mr. Jokic. Why not? <laughs> wow. It's not a bad impersonation. Like I, I know we're all like, man, our athletes and our stars and famous people are they genuine? Doesn't he seem as genuine as they come from a star standpoint? Totally. I, I you know what? I, I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way or offend people. You think his brothers went to sleep last night? And this probably is like a generational thing. 
But as somebody who grew up during the Cold War, movies and depictions of the Eastern Bloc and Soviet countries were presented so often as the evil, you know, Ivan Drago and the the evil Russians and whatever else, that when you, that people who are like Serbian, Croatian, you know, again, of Eastern Europe, obviously I don't think of them as evil, but they seem less warm, even though they, they like Nikola Jokic is a wonderful person. There's not a thing about him that, that is anything other than Teammates completely wonderful. Correct. But like, you, there's a stereotype that they're like all like robotically business. And I think that comes from, that's an unfair stereotype that I have because of the way that the portrayal of their background was for me growing up in so much of the American culture. But tremendous player, tremendous personality, lovable guy by all account, as you'd mentioned, um, and best player in the league right now, probably. 16-4. and four. That was Denver's run in the postseason. Darn impressive for the Nuggets. They... Complete a 4-1 series victory. Speaking of that potential series margin, that's the goal for the Vegas Golden Knights tonight. Stanley Cup Final Game 5. They're up 3-1. Back on home ice. They take on the Fighting Brendan Kings, the Florida Panthers. Uh, Panthers need to win to stay alive in that series. And Vegas going for the 4-1 victory. Uh, Major League Baseball, I will lead with it, Kevin. Here we go. Get ready to celebrate. The Oakland Athletics have won six straight games. Happy anniversary. (laughs) Oakland over the Tampa Bay Rays, 4-3. That's the longest win streak in Major League Baseball right now, by the way. No hotter team than the A's. We'll always have this moment, A's fans. (laughs) 18-50 now overall. Uh, Giants over the Cardinals, 4-3. It was the Diamondbacks over the Phillies, 9-8 there within a half game Mm -hmm. of the cute fella in the race for PBR. Reds over the Royals, 5-4. And Detroit over the Atlanta Braves, 6-5 yesterday. 317-239-1070. Pop quiz is next. Lead. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. You surprised that Jokic, first player in NBA Finals history, points, rebounds, and assists? I am, actually. Although the... The way the game used to be played, though, you know, you had somebody who was your designated rebounder. You know what I mean? I mean... Again, this is finals history. We'll see if there's a question about that. Coming up on the pop quiz. The other stat I saw that was pretty amazing is he's the first player taken after 15 overall in a draft to win both NBA MVP and finals MVP. Really? Giannis would have been the previous furthest back. Is that right? Um, I guess, yeah. I guess that, that would be. But I mean, wasn't Giannis taken right in that right in was, the same area? He was 17, wasn't he? So maybe it's after 17. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, it is time for the pop quiz. Um, Jake at number one through eight before we get to Kristen Peake to talk some NBA draft. Title number one for the Nuggets. So we'll go with number one. Tim. Tim. Good morning. Hey, Tim. How you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Tim, you happy about the Nuggets? Don't care? I don't care. You know, I follow all sports, and I could care less about the NBA. Any particular reason, Tim? You know, I I can't put my finger on it. I mean, I love basketball. grew up in Indiana, and uh, it's just just a game I can't watch. I have friends that, you know, they're texting back and forth about it, and 
I literally did not watch one minute of the playoffs. What was the last year that you recall being invested in the NBA? It, look, I'm a, I'm a bandwagoner. It was uh, the Pacers and Heat series when uh, uh, Lance kind of got uh, LeBron riled up. So that would be it. So if the Pacers got back to that level again, would you be back on board? Sure, sure, absolutely. Like okay. I said, I, I'm I'm an admitted bandwagoner for the Pacers. Wow, that's cool. I respect the admittance of the bandwagon, Tim. Uh, yep. Tim, what are your favorite sports? Well, I love thoroughbred racing. In fact, uh, I'm on my phone now. I hope Sergeant Prine doesn't pull me over, but I'm on my way to uh, right outside St. Louis. I have a small ownership and a horse that's running today. So, What's your horse's name? Run. Memory Bank, and I had the honor of naming him. That's pretty cool. Wow, that is cool. Tim, what do you think about my idea that if you, and again, I know nothing about horse racing, if you, uh, if you sign up for the Kentucky Derby, you must enter the Preakness as well? Well, I don't, I don't disagree with that, but they absolutely have to spread those races out a little more. Would one more week be enough? One week would help, but you need at least three weeks between the Derby and Preakness and probably four weeks. These horses are so soft. What's this load management? <laughs> I know. What the hell? Back in my day, we'd run them five times a week. That's, that's true. There's a lot of truth to that. Memory so, Bank. Great starter, great closer. What are we What are we looking for here? He's he's a big-time closer. Okay, big-time closer. So he'll Mariano come Rivera. off the face. I love it. I love it. Jake, you want to lead off with number one here? All right, here we go with question number one for you. You need to go back in the memory bank in order to get this one right. Nikola Jokic, your your NBA Finals MVP, as the Nuggets, of course, won last night, averaged a combined 52.9 points, rebounds, and assists per game in Denver's run through the playoffs, the second highest in NBA history over a minimum of 15 games. Name the only player who averaged more cumulative number in a playoff run. Jordan, LeBron, Shaq, or Wilt? Let's go with... um, Go in the memory bank here. Wilt. Okay. Number two, Tim. 46 seasons between the Nuggets joining the NBA and winning their first championship is the longest gap in league history. Among those teams that have never won an NBA title, which franchise is now on top for the longest wait for that NBA championship? Is it the Pacers slash New Jersey Brooklyn Nets? Am I saying that right, this, Scott? By the way, I want to emphasize, this does not include when these franchises began in the American Basketball Association. Okay. Current day franchises. Pacers, Suns, Clippers, Jazz. Uh, Suns. Okay. Christian Brown is the fifth player in NBA history to win an NBA championship and NCAA basketball title in consecutive years. I've mentioned this on the show several times. Which of the following did not accomplish the feat of consecutive year NCAA champion and NBA champion? This guy probably sat in his hometown in Terre Haute and sulked about it forever. Bill Russell, Clyde... Hold on. Bill Russell, Clyde Lavella, Henry Bibby, or Billy Thompson? Tim's like that horse that, you know, kind of quicken the gate there to get out with that answer. Uh, Real Mudo? Am I saying that right? JT Real Mudo, uh, courtesy of Scotty, began the first Philadelphia Philly to hit for the cycle in almost 20 years last night. Named the last Philly to hit for the cycle before Real Mudo. Was it A, David Bell, B, Jimmy Rollins, C, Bobby Abreu, or D, Mike Lieberthal? 
Jimmy Rollins. I used to love Bobby Abreu's swing. Happy 61st birthday to former IndyCar Series driver and current radio commentator and all-around super good dude, Davey Hamilton. He raced in 11 Indy 500s in his career, Tim. What was his best finish? Third, fourth, sixth, or ninth? Ninth. All right. Uh, great start. So I guess memory bank-wise, he said great closer there. It was kind of the reverse for that for Tim. Wilt Chamberlain was correct. Yeah! Phoenix Suns, 55 seasons. Yeah! No. Wow. Jeez, Mark. And Clyde Low. Ah! How am I saying that? Low. Clyde Lavellet. Lavellet. Thank you. Uh, those three right. But number four, the slip up. Not Jimmy Rollins. David Bell. Davy finished fourth in the 598. You don't get to come back tomorrow. Good luck to Memory Bank. You don't even get a lousy yeah, copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. <laughs> the job is done. We can go home now. Talk well a little said. NBA draft next. Yeah, we'll do some NBA draft to round it out with Kristen. P- it is 16 minutes before the hour of 10 o'clock in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's 16 minutes before the hour of 10 o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. Joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline, she is a friend of the show who I believe is mom to Gary. I think that was the name of the dog who's made cameos that I love on the program. But she is the NBA draft analyst for Yahoo Sports. Kristen Peake joins us. Uh, Kristen, first off, good morning. Thanks for the time. I know it's a busy time of year for you, obviously. Yes, good morning. You know what? I'm. Um, <laughs> that made me a little homesick because I'm currently... In Colorado, I was not in Denver for the Game 5 um, clincher that the Nuggets had, but I'm here in Colorado for the, uh, the U19 USA basketball tryout. So even though it's draft season, like I'm still on the road. The NBA scouts were in the gym. So you mentioning Gary, I'm like, oh, can't wait to get home tomorrow. <laughs> uh-huh. well, <laughs> Named after Gary Harris by any chance, Kristen, from a local angle you know, here? Can I... Can I honestly tell you, like, I, I just love human names for dogs, but I ran into, I don't know if I told you guys this story before, but I ran into Gary Trent Jr. at a run, like a summer run at UCLA last year, and I was like, hey, GT, how's it going? He's like, great, KP, good to see you. Um, Did you name your dog after me? <laughs> he, he thought I was like, I was like, oh, Sure, Gary Trent Jr. Yes, I named my dog after you. Well, yes. if you have another dog and you name it Trent, then all of a sudden there's going to be some real I suspicion, yeah. right? I, I, I was hesitant. We, we named our son Max, and I, I told my wife, I was like, gosh, don't you think Max is the most common human dog name out there? So I was hesitant <laughs> on it from that standpoint. But Probably is. Right? right? But Max be up there. Is, now he's my little dog, right? Hey, Kristen, yeah. um, I'm going to begin with this. We we obviously know who is going to go number one overall. Everyone knows that. Yes. It, it seems to me that we are honing in. Are we prepared yet to say that it is almost a foregone conclusion that Brandon Miller goes number two, or is that still up for debate? I think that's still up for debate. I think there's some smoke there, um, you know, from different reports that we're hearing, and that that's the time of year, right? Like it's a wild, wild west for Intel. We saw Shams tweet out yesterday that the New Orleans Pelicans are trying to trade up to number two so they can get Scoot Henderson. So that you're going to start seeing a lot of different reports. From For me, it's like I, every day I go back and forth. And if I'm doing that as just a draft analyst who has been following both these players for a very long time, I know that's exactly what the front office is doing. 
So is Brandon Miller the better fit on paper? Yes, you can slide him on the wing, the perimeter alongside LaMelo Ball. But Scoot Henderson is definitely, I think in my eyes, the better prospect. So if you're going for best available and then you put him in the backcourt with LaMelo and you try to make it work, I think there's still debate for that. Do you think, because I do believe, Kristen, that Indiana at this point has resigned themselves to the fact they're going to stay at seven. I think they're okay with that. Assuming they do, do you believe that Indiana, because you raise a really interesting point there, do the Pacers go with best prospect or best fit? They have some options, right? I, I think they're in a really good spot at seven because, you know, you're looking at other players that could potentially be off the board are a lot of guards. Uh, we're talking about Amen, Asar Thompson, and Cam Whitmore, possibly Anthony Black. So if Jairus Walker is still there at seven and he can help with some front court need, then I think, you know, they're in a great spot. But if he's off the board, then you, and if you see like a Cam Whitmore, or if you see one of the Thompson twins fall, who, you know, could be potential all-stars coming up, then, you know, then it becomes like, okay, now do we go for best available or do we take a swing at a player like Taylor Hendricks, who is projecting to be, you know, like a three and D positionalist guy. But I think seven is a little bit high for Taylor. He's more at the back half of the lottery. So if Jairus is off the board, I think that's where it becomes interesting. Kristen, I want to get to Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks in just a second. Ironically, the Patriots had both of them work out for them on the same day last week. Uh, but I don't know how much you pay attention to it. And this might be a little bit more NFL draft-centric, but you're certainly one that pays a ton of attention to the NBA draft. I remember leading in the NFL draft. It got to like mid-April, and we're like, oh my gosh, these storylines are just exhausting, and you feel like just people are kind of creating narratives just to do it. If you have seen an NBA draft storyline that you just disagree with like no other, what would that be as we are now nine days out of the draft? I mean, it's got to be Chris Livingston getting a promise. Like, this is a this is a player. He was a five-star recruit coming into Kentucky. He did not do anything at Kentucky. I think he averaged under five points per game. He's not, I mean, it wasn't one, he didn't have an injury. And all of a sudden, he's with Clutch, and you got Rich Paul out there shopping him around for a guarantee. And Rich is claiming, oh, I've never had a player with a two-way. And so now all of us are like, you know, covering the draft, we're like, is he going to get a guarantee? Like, who's going to take Chris Livingston with guarantee money? So it's stuff like that that you start hearing where it's like he just comes out of nowhere. Um, and you, you you don't want to believe it, but then you see who's saying it, and it's Rich Paul and the poll he has in the league. And so you're like, okay, well, where is he going to fall? Like, who's going to give him guaranteed money? So that, to me right now, is a storyline where I'm like, eh. I don't know if I believe it, but I want to say he worked out for the Pacers very close to when that um, that storyline came out. And Kristen Peak, Yahoo Sports, with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline, covers the draft, does an outstanding job. Um, let's go back to Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks. I, I, I've told our listeners, Kristen, I think if either of their name gets called at seven coming up a week from Thursday, given how the Pacers' current construction looks, I think they should be very happy. Um, if you don't mind, share a little bit more on, on what you've observed in Walker and Hendricks. Absolutely. For Jairus, I mean, this is a player. He came from a winning program in high school from IMG Academy, and there's players in that draft class that were teammates of him. Um, Jet Howard was his teammate. Keontae George was his teammate. So he knows how to win, 
And he's also, you know, one of the best locker room guys. He's very vocal in practice. Um, He's very easy to get along with. And also, he's a unit. I think he's probably has the most NBA-ready body. I saw him at the Combine, and he looks even bigger in the best way possible. I mean, he's 6'8", 245-ish. And, you know, he's got the defensive versatility, which is what I think a lot of teams look at, and they they covet. And also, you know, um, even though he's not the biggest guy in terms of height-wise, but he's got the size to be able to bang down low and the quickness and the and the footwork to slide out on the perimeter. His offensive game, you know, he needs he's fine in the mid range. He needs to extend it past three point line. But I've seen him hit threes in high school. He didn't do it a lot in Houston, but I think that was more of the system. So I think that's why teams would favor him over a player like Taylor Hendricks. And mind you, like I think they're two completely different players, but they're also two players with a ton of upside like Taylor has a little more length at six foot nine. He's more of that three and D guy. He's a great rebounder. Um, he can knock down the three point. You can extend them to the stretch four, and he's still young. I mean, this is a guy from UCF central Florida in high school. He played with more or big time players, you know, like Bryce Sensabaugh, who's in the draft, uh, Dylan Mitchell, who decided to go back to Texas, but was a five-star recruit. So his touches were limited and then when he was given the keys, he was able just to shine. And, like, I, I don't even think people realize how good he's going to be. Like, he still has tremendous upside. Kristen, one player that I have heard mentioned as a riser through the process here is Jalen hood Shafino. I noticed you still you have him in your mock going 15th, which is about where originally I think he was set. Any chance he rises above that? Two-part question. And the second would be, you do have Trace Jackson Davis mocked with Indiana to the Pacers at 32. Is that just because you get to a point then where you're just ranking the players based on, on their ranking? Or do you think that that is a fit that Indiana is looking to fill and Trace Jackson Davis offers something they like? Right. With Jalen Hushafino, I think a lot is going to come down to his workouts and his interviews with the teams. Um, you know, I can't really get a gauge on him. I was talking to a few scouts and front office executive, executive yesterday at the U19 tryouts, and that's a name where it's like, we don't know where he's going to fall. He's working out for teams anywhere from 8 to 20. So I think that's an indication that his agent at CAA doesn't know where he's going to fall either. So but what he can bring to a table, like it wouldn't shock me if he went 10. It went to the Mavericks. It wouldn't shock me if he went 19 to the Miami Heat. You know, like it's it's all about for him best fit. And I don't think he's stressed out about it at all. Like he is a solid guard. He's a playmaker. He plays bigger than his size. He's great off the pick and roll. But I think it's the workouts that are really going to, you know, put him in a position in terms of what team is going to take them within that range, within that like 10 to 20 range. And for Trace Jackson Davis, of course I'm going to mock him to Indiana. <laughs> like, like that to be like, if he's going to be in that 28 to 32 range and he's there at 32, this is a four-year player. He can come in, he can give solid minutes. He's a great locker room guy, you know, um, plays the right way. And, you know, we saw it with Miami and the run that they made with guys that, were kind of off the cusp. They weren't that one-and-done talent. And I think Trace is kind of that glue guy. So if he's there at 32, I mean, it's it's both. It's best fit and it's best available prospect. Could he, go in, could he sneak into the first round in the low 20s? 
I don't think the low 20s. I think probably, I mean, in the late 20s. For well, that's what I mean. By low 20s, I mean yeah, late, yeah. yeah. 28, 29, yeah, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, he is a late round, early second round projection. Um, it only takes one team, right? Like, we've seen it year in and year out. We saw um, Cam Johnson go 11 to the Phoenix Suns, like, and surprise everyone. We're seeing Bilal Koulibaly, Victor Wembanyama's teammate, skyrocket to the lottery because of what he's done in the Pro A Finals. Um, over in France. So it's all, I mean, it, we're in the last 10 days of it. So there's going to be a lot of movement. There's going to be a lot of chatter. But for a player like Trace, I think it's just, you know, he's in that sweet spot um, between late first round and early second. Again, Kristen Peak, NBA draft expert from Yahoo Sports with us here. Kristen, last one, and I don't think I'm catching you off guard because you just tell, told us you were at the U.S. Uh, U19 trials out there. Two people of local interest that have made the first cut. Uh, Purdue fans have to be thrilled to see Miles Colvin, who will be a freshman at Purdue coming up this year, and then a Purdue commit, Kanan Catchings, here locally out of Brownsburg, obviously the nephew of Tamika Catchings. Um, both of them made the first cut, so they're in the final 18 as they pick a 12-man team that will represent the U.S. at the U19 um, tournament coming up here in Hungary later this summer. Uh, any observations? I don't know how much you're, you are allowed to watch, Kristen, but any observations? Have you seen anything of Colvin or Catchings? Yeah, I'll say this. Colvin has really surprised me just um, in his playmaking and versatility. I didn't expect that from him. And, you know, this team is, it's so funny because I was there the first two days when it was the whole group there. And then all of a sudden, yesterday morning, the NBA scouts showed up and it was like the intensity picked up. Everyone was making shots. Everyone was making the right plays. And I had to tell the scouts, I was like, I feel like I need to tell you guys that this is the best that they've played so far. So, like, you guys are making an impact. And, and one of the scouts said to me, they're like, yeah, I walked in. I was super excited about this group. Like, they're they're making shots. Are they playing with a smaller ball? Every shot is going in. So it was just one of those days, and those two really did shine. And I think it, it bodes well for both of them that they're kind of older or in the middle of that group because you do have some younger guys, you know, still there trying to make the team that are five-star prospects. But. Um, yeah, it's a good group. I, it's so funny to me because usually for any USA basketball tryout, I can pinpoint who the best player is on the team so far. And not that this is a bad thing, but I'm still struggling to do that. I mean, you got Kylan Boswell, the Arizona point guard. You got uh, Dylan Harper, who is a five-star prospect, one of the best incoming senior guards. And they're all playing very well. So I think it's going to be a fun group. Kristen, great stuff. Uh, say hi to Gary for us when you see him here <laughs> later this week, and uh, enjoy next Thursday. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Kristen Peak, Yahoo Sports, right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Always enjoy catching up with her. Jake, if you're a Purdue fan, I think that's got to excite you. Again, 35 yeah, participants. Pretty glowing praise right there. 35 in the U19 tryouts. Both Colvin, who will be a freshman, and Catchings, who still has one more year at Brownsburg. Um, they have made the first round of cuts, so 35 down to 18. We'll see if either of them or both of them make the 12-man team that will represent the United States at the U19 tournament in Hungary. Good stuff. Definitely good stuff. I am kind of hungry now that I think about that. <laughs> I do earlier lunches with this show. You do earlier naps, is that right? Oh, yeah. Off to nap, Jake is. We'll be back.